Welcome to Who All Gonna Be There, a podcast by artists for artists. We talk cash shit about everything. Sometimes we get messy, and it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel. I'm an artist which, as you all know, is a career that takes many jobs to support financially. This week, I've decided I'm a reserve firefighter, a professional closet organizer, a freelance traveling anesthesiologist, and I also produce and manage those socioeconomic studies that prove things that black folks have been saying for centuries, such as inherent racial bias in hospitals and banks, and less financial support in public schooling and low-income neighborhoods. Hell yeah, Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Maximiliano. Maxi Max. Bob Max. Maximus Dismus Brutius. Last child of black Krypton. Herald of Black Alandis Rising. Harbinger of the end of existing empires. That's a lot. And how to support Nat Turner Project, you ask? (laughs) You know what? How do you support Nat Turner Project? (laughs) You can support Nat Turner Project in a number of ways, Mel. Um, You can come to our shows. You can come to our events. Um, You can follow us on Instagram at Nat Turner Project. You can follow us on Facebook at Nat Turner Project. Um, you can buy stuff from our SE shop. We have pins. We have totes. We have um, we have a catalog, uh, a rack-funded catalog. We have a critical zine with four amazing scholars, all available on Etsy for your purchase. We have a website, natturnerproject.co. Check us out. That's where you can get all the podcasts. Um, most importantly, we have a Patreon. Um, exclusive podcast episodes, which are only available behind the paywall, so we get extra, extra messy. Extra, extra. Extra, extra. Um, we're on iTunes. Who all going to be there? Um, leave us a review. Hopefully a good one, but whatever. Um, we will read it, even if it's bad. Yeah, we need to start bringing them onto the next podcast and reading them. Well, we're going to read the ones, ones we have so far, because we got oh. two. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> um, YouTube, Stitcher. Um, if you have arts-related questions, 
questions about life, questions about money, finance, um, where to invest, um, hit us up. And we will read it on here and try our best, try our best to answer it. Because we're experts. Yes, all around. <laughs> um, first up, before we get started, I want to give a special birthday shout out to Nat Turner. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Nat Turner. Happy birthday, Nat. <laughs> um, and as you just heard, we have our second guest artist, who happens to be one of the best shit talkers that I know. He also makes art and stuff. Uh, it's Ruben Garcia Marufo. What's up, Ruben? I'm a shit talker? Is that how you old see me? Damn. One of the ways. <laughs> I, can, I, I have other ways of talking. Okay. Yeah. But okay, let's spill all the tea, right? Yes. Very okay, cool. Wait, I'm going to read your bio before we get to the nitty gritty. Okay. Ruben's bio. Um, <laughs> Ruben... Garcia Marufo is a Mexican filmmaker and an American installation artist currently living in the United States. Their work focuses, focuses on borders, their aftermaths, and bilinguality, blurring the line between reality and fiction by narratives that are rooted in hearsay and multiple languages. Co-curator of Chingada Gallery, an experimental space focused on non-specific not specific art objects and non-objectional art conceived from the distance featuring Latin American artists. Recipient of the 2018 Andy Warhol Foundation via the Precipice Fund. Recipient of the 2019 Regional Arts and Culture Council Project Grant for Yonga and Gaspar. Was part of the Mexicali Biennale. Biennial. <laughs> I feel like as an artist you should know how to pronounce biennial. I feel like... It's an act of resistance. <laughs> Manifesting the terrestrial paradise, Marufo has produced both feature-length and short experimental videos, which have exhibited at Ficujuma in Mexico, has shown work video at Artist Space NYC and Carvservin Munich, and was an exhibiting artist in the 2019 Portland Biennial <laughs> at Disjecta Contemporary Arts Center. Thank you for that lovely intro, Max. You're welcome. I feel like weird when people read that and I'm like, right. <laughs> do you think when someone reads your bio, do you think to yourself, damn, I've done a lot of shit? Yeah, I feel like sometimes it's more like, oh yeah, I forgot that I did those things. <laughs> Those things long, long time ago. <laughs> That's why you write them down. <laughs> so you don't forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, we ask our artists um, if they prefer any special uh, beverage. So what's in your cup? Mezcal. Mezcalín. Oh. It's delicious. I'm already kind of drunk. Off <laughs> so we're going to be having a lot of fun. And laughing, <laughs> 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 I guess. <laughs> I feel All right. like this episode is going to be heavily edited. Probably, yes. Okay. It's what I do. Okay. It's my gift. Remove all the messiness? Yeah, having like having people keep their jobs. Okay. So, <laughs> Thank you, Melanie. <laughs> I try. All right, so first, um, I think we want to spend the first half talking about your work, and then we'll get into all the pop culture mess. 
Um, mm. And I warned you ahead of time, I know you don't want to talk about it, but we are going to talk about some movies that are coming out. Yeah, I know. Okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> all right. So first of all, um, you have a work in the Portland Biennial. Yes. Um, you have a film called El Cielo Más Hermoso. Sí, yes. <laughs> um, Max and I had, I had the pleasure of seeing it we both had the pleasure of seeing it at the biennial, but then um, you kindly um, let us watch um, a screening of it in our off time. Um, so I wanted to spend a little time talking to you about that and asking questions. Yeah, sure. I'm here okay. to provide things. All right. So do you want to start with your question or do you want to start um, with mine? Sure. Ruben, general thoughts on the Portland Biennial. General thoughts on the Portland Biennial. Um, I feel like a lot of people have asked me, like, how does it feel to be part of the Portland Biennial? How does it feel part of, part of the Biennial? And um, um, some people are like, I tell them my answer, which is, I don't know, man. I'm just, like, doing what I need to do. I'm just doing my, my work. And they're like, wow, that seems pretty shitty. I was like, I, well, what do you want me to say? Like, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be able to produce things and present them to an audience. I was like, no, it's just like, uh, I showed work. They were interested in an aspect of my practice and that's what they were looking for and I provided what they were looking for. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like being able to present it to a, such a big audience was really cool um also my favorite part of it was the kids writing the descriptions of the work because like mm. i thought mine was very funny i was like ruin is a very talented filmmaker from mexico and i was like <laughs> okay cool um but like you know just my favorite part was that yes i got picked and i honestly did not had any um restrictions or any expectations to fulfill to anyone other than that they decided to go with a very specific subject which in this case was uh, migration and border uh, politics um, that was like the only thing they even asked me like are you willing to do this work and I said yes but other than that there wasn't any requirement there wasn't anything that they were like constantly in communication with me or demanding things of me other than, you know, uh, literature about the work and what it's about, you know, basic things. Sorry. I don't know. It was like a very pleasant work experience where I just wish like every time I am uh, commissioned something, I'll be like that. It's like, okay, do that. And then you just do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was like the most pleasant experience for me. And being able to find these narratives that uh, I guess we'll get in, in deep a bit more later. Yeah. Um, that I feel like for me, this kind of work has always been very, very taxing emotionally. And I sometimes wish that they asked for other things. That's, <laughs> hmm. that's something that I would like, that would be interesting in other parts of my practice other than the, uh, what's up? Louder? Okay. Um, other than, uh, you know, like, migration, like, border politics and all these things. Even though, like, I know I'm from there and I've lived it all my life. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's just very taxing for me and the people that are involved. Yeah, I'm going to have questions about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Do you feel like you're being typecast to do work about this particular subject matter? Like, um, because we're in a moment where people are actually thinking about it, perhaps for the first time? Um, I do think, so. I mean, I don't know about the typecasting. I feel like this is the first time, but I see it repeating. And I remember someone telling me yesterday that you're only going to be remembered by this one thing, um, hmm. and which was Max. Max told me about that. <laughs> wow. Quite uh, the critical analysis. He like he like paraphrased something <laughs> from something else that it's kind of t- like not really super direct. To okay. This was. Okay. <laughs> no, but yeah, I don't know. I I like to take it like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so sometimes I do feel like if I keep doing this, that's the only thing they're gonna be asking of me. So I'm grateful to have the opportunity to show this work, but at the same time. I also wish that they would be interested in my work as, like, the border as a conceptual framework. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, like, as the thing itself, you know? Like, can it just be my starting point to work in other things? There's, like, other borders that I'm interested in, like, other forms of separation. Do you feel that the conversation around the, the tangible, like quote-unquote reality of the border is kind of a 101 conversation. What do you mean 101? Like, do you feel like it's a surface conversation, like, as opposed to, like, the more conceptual framework of the border um, and the existence of the border and, like, the ideas of, like, who's creating them and how they are kind of just, like, social constructs? Um... But I okay to answer the first one. We mm-hmm. you asked me about the border being like very superficial level, right? I don't want to say superficial or like, but like one ex- ex- like the accessible part of the dialogue. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yes, it's like I feel like sometimes I'm just like dropping facts. It's yeah, like, and it's another conversation that I was having this weekend. Is like I don't want to be giving answers. I want to be asking questions about it. Mm. And sometimes my questions about the border are like, I just find, um, I just find that I'm very interested in like, oh, what's like, what are like the borders of silence? Like, that's mm-hmm. something that I've like been into a lot, but I feel like no one's caring about that right now. I but, care. <laughs> but we can talk about that later. But um, yeah, like, I feel like a lot of, specifically here in Portland where we are so far from it. Um, and also, like, I feel like I did that to myself, hmm. right? Because I was, like, um, I started to create most of my work around um, seeing, like, the the focus on identity politics here in Portland. I was, like, oh, is it possible to create, like, a border identity? And it was, like, it's kind of hard. <laughs> and that's something that I was trying to create and... And for me, it's like I, I, I feel sometimes that I make something and then it's like, okay, I made something and then move away from it and then return to it. But I feel like I haven't been able to, like, get away mm-hmm. from it, right? So I can return to it with, like, oh, I like, you know, you go away and come back to it and you see it with other set of eyes. Mm-hmm. And 
I feel like when it comes to like like border politics, like the border event, like geographical thing, right? Mm-hmm. And between Mexico and the United States specifically, because that's the one that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Because every other border has its own world of discussion. Mm-hmm. You cannot compare Korea to Israel or Israel to the United States or the United States to North Korea and Korea. They're like incredibly different like borders mm-hmm. in by itself. Um what was and could you return to your question where it was like who's having this conversation or something? Just so yeah, I can like refresh. Like I guess the question I'm asking you is like and I feel like you may have already kind of partially answered answered it. Like, do you feel that you have agency over like the framework that you're making work around with the border, or do you feel like you're being compelled to frame it in a certain way? Oh, definitely the second one. I um, because uh, I think I'm going to give an example for that. I feel like here I am compelled to talk about it in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the context of like being in Portland, but every work that I made while I was in Mexicali was border art. Every single one of them, even though I was not in, in di- directly engaging with the border itself, just because of where I'm making it from is is just it's like it's uh, it's part of that um, history of art mm-hmm. of like of that uh, area just by being there. And I feel like, like, I think, like I said before here, I feel like I'm just like dishing out facts. And that's what I've been doing is, um, you know, art can point in the thing and these like point in the thing and say, like, that's the problem. But I don't think art is meant to solve it or create consciences of it. And art, I feel like art movies and every form of expression books can never change anything. I feel like if you, the 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 text itself the work itself can't change anything it is the influence of the text itself on people that makes the change it could be a catalyst yes but the work itself can only point at the things so you can be like oh yeah this is happening over there but honestly i still like i don't think like my work is gonna like change anything other than oh that is happening even if i try to like there's no way that I can fight against the border machine, you know? Um, but yeah, that's my perspective of, like, how art functions in, like, this. Specifically in, like, border art when it's, like, ex- extremely complicated and, like, uh, extremely complicated and a bit of um, hard to swallow, mm-hmm. you know? There's, like, a lot of, like words associated with it and sentences like children in cages mm-hmm. family separation and like these hard things they are not necessarily they're like very few images of it but just like these words associated with it and you try to make art from it and I feel like you can only point to it and it's like it's there that's happening Yeah. Um, and I don't think like art can't create that it yeah, art doesn't change it, but the people that are experience it and can act upon the reaction of the thing that they saw can change it. But, but art it, by itself can't. But isn't that the same thing in a way? I mean, it could be the catalyst, sure. But I don't know, like, art by itself is just, you know, not... I don't know, it's... Art can't 
act on 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 itself. You know, it's not like it's gonna walk the street unless you make art that walks the street. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think that if you if you feel that art can't change things, why do you think people feel so passionately and ve- ve- vehemently about art? Like, even like the pop culture stuff we're gonna talk about, people have really strong opinions. So I feel like it's a persistent belief that art can move the gauge, albeit incrementally. Like I said, it brings attention to it. Yes. For sure. Yeah. But like I'm seeing like art is like this thing that's like this possible idea or this form of seeing something and seeing it like with a different perspective and you see it as like, oh, I never see it. I never thought about it that way, which has happened to me like several times. But like a movie itself, like for example, um, this is going to be like very low ball. (laughs) Uh, Bowling for Columbine, which I love the title. Bowling. Bowling for Columbine. Is that the name of it? Bowling for Columbine. Right? It's Bowling for Columbine. Oh, I thought you said bowling. No, bowling. Okay. It's like Bowling for Columbine. Oh, Michael Moore when he was actually cool. Yeah. (laughs) No, he looks weird. Um, Okay. (laughs) I was not talking about his looks for the record. I was talking about his complicated politics. Yeah, I feel like he calls himself out in his latest movie. Uh, oh, okay. in the Fahrenheit, I think. I don't know where he was like. I was like hugging with these people, and I was like that. He was. He, he did. Called, he called himself out. He did, but like, is that thing like okay? Going back to pointing out the thing is not the same as like really taking responsibility of it. Yeah. For it. Yeah, I feel like if like I said, it's a super low ball. <laughs> it's like. What has Bowling for Columbine done for, like, you know, guns? Like, the pr- the gun problematic yeah. of America? Nothing. But I didn't know about it. Yeah. I saw it when I was in Mexico. I was like, shit, because I knew about Columbine. Everyone knew about Everybody Columbine, knew right? About Columbine. Yeah. I even saw, like, the Guzman Sand Elephant movie that was, like, based on Columbine. Which, which was movie? Elephant. It's uh Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. It's basically... It's a... It's connected to the history of film. It's, like, another movie that is just, like, an hour and a half of murders. Just, like... Oh. It's, like, a shot, and you don't know if the people that you're seeing are going to be victims or the killers or going to be, like, witnesses to a murder. And that movie's called Elephant. I think it's, like... I don't remember the name of the director. And then Guzman San made a movie called Elephant based on Columbine. But hmm. after I saw that I... Balling for Columbine, I was like, oh, shit, this is, like, a systematic problem, right? Mm-hmm. It pointed to it. It created, it started a conversation and mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But the movie itself didn't create anything. Is the people that have probably been affected by it and um, want that change to happen. But I don't know. That's my very personal perspective of art where you can just point the thing and say, like, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that interaction is, like, how change happens. But a movie itself, maybe over time, over time can do it. But, like... I feel like a film cannot spark a revolution. Like, it's like that kind of thing, you know? Um, it can start a conversation about a revolution. What if What if we didn't view, and I feel like we're, like, way off track, but this no, is an interesting conversation. What if we didn't view it in terms of individual pieces of art, but rather as a lineage of art and what that does? Like, for instance, American film. If we look at what the first like um 
like screened American film was, which was I think I believe Birth of a Nation, no, I and we look at the through line of like what American cinema has become based on that. I think it's an interesting way to evaluate how art as a collective can change like an ideology over time. What was the question? Like I understand like <laughs> you talked about the lineage of film, right? Yeah, the lineage of film. I think like if you like rather than viewing it as individual pieces of art. Oh, I get it. Viewing it more as like like part of a collective, part of a lineage, like okay. a family tree. I think that you can kind of see how art can change like an entire like way of life or culture or thinking. In that aspect, like, yes, if you start seeing it like, like these things that are like linking each other. Right. Right. Um, because if you talk about like the lineage of film, like in Hollywood, then we talk about like, oh, Hollywood started specifically, I don't know, was D.W. Griffith Hollywood mm -hmm. or East Coast? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was Hollywood. I, I think it's Hollywood. Yeah, because everyone came after the yeah. Edison patent to the West Coast. California. Mm. Yeah, so like that would mean say like the beginning of Hollywood was like inherently racist. Yes. Right? And which I think it connects with other conversations we want to have a little bit. Inherently racist and also inherently kind of a baked in propaganda promoting like the nuclear family, um, white middle class cishet values. Like yeah. all of that is baked in to what Hollywood began as. And that's still present, but it's evolved in this interesting way, I think. I feel like a lot of, like, Hollywood history is... I know a lot of it, and I feel like it's the most... If you talk about, like, the history of cinema, you it's one of the one that's, like, heavily taught. And that is, like, where I find the biggest problem. Yeah, that's fair. Because everyone is like, have you seen this movie? He's like, in this movie? He's like, I've seen all those fucking movies and I don't give a fuck about, like, your Hollywood 50 Golden Age movie. Like, like when Hollywood was doing that, like, Mexico was doing this other shit. Yeah. Latin America was doing this other shit. Like, yeah. you know, like, the Europeans were, like, you know, going crazy with, the with like, the medium, right? Mm -hmm. And there's something about, like... There's like the third, like the three kinds of cinema, right? Mm -hmm. The first kind, like uh, the first cinema, which would be considered, um, I mean, this is like part of like history, which would be like the Hollywood system, mm -hmm. uh, which I think we already had, all three of us had a conversation about it, and we consider that also that one would be the same as the second kind of cinema, which is the Russian kind of cinema, which is, was uh, propaganda. Mm. Uh, which also American cinema would be considered the same as, like, American propaganda. Yes. And then the third cinema, which is, like, was born in, uh, like, Latin America and Africa as, uh, uh, like, resistance cinema, mm -hmm. which was, like, revolutionary cinema, which was, like, very heavily influenced, like, documentary and trying to retake the space in theaters that Hollywood... Was well, took over mm -hmm. because of their production capability, distribution capability, uh, throughout like the seventies, eighties, nineties, and two thousands, and right now. Um, so for me, like any film that is made in Mexico, it's considered like, or in a third world country, would be considered like third cinema. And if it takes like space in a theater, I was like, yeah, because I don't know, it's something very hard. Like I, 
before coming to the United States, it was very hard for me to watch the movies that I wanted. Mm-hmm. It was always like the big blockbusters all the time and not even um, films from like Mexican filmmakers or like European filmmakers or like Asian filmmakers I was able to watch. I was not able to watch any of them. They would never be able to get there uh, because one, it was a small town. Two, there were like, um, you know, megaplexes and stuff like that. Yeah. And... And this is something I come to the United States, and ever since I moved here, I've been able to watch every single movie I've been wanting to watch. And that's something like the access that the United States has to like all these different kind of like culture and cinema and whatever. And then I start asking like, who's gets who gets to see these movies? And I don't know. It feels like sometimes I enjoy the movie in a very different aspect, but whenever I go to it, I see the audience, and it's mostly like fucking white gringos and I'm like ah oh, shit like I feel like it's so weird when they come out of it because I hear them talk and they're like mm-hmm. oh wow I didn't I wow it's so interesting to watch these kinds of things and these other cultures I was like oh my god just shut the fuck up and I, I feel like they take it like they're doing like a good deed or mm-hmm. like they are like on a vacation and like oh I did good because I went and watched this movie and it just I don't know just pisses me off but I'm glad that I am able to watch all these movies honestly yeah I feel like we went like completely off <laughs> no I mean Max no this is why you're here <laughs> <laughs> no I mean uh, kudos to you for eavesdropping because I've learned that when I go to like certain movies to just not like turn off um, my um, audio like whatever like even when we went to see the last last I knew that white people would be saying stupid shit so I was just like nope not I don't want to hear it I'm just gonna yeah (laughs) so yeah okay and some of it does slip in unfortunately because white people have a tendency to be very loud Um, but um, yeah, it's very much like this weird American pastime of the middle class to, like, experience other cultures and to learn about, you know, other perspectives because it makes you a better person. And it's all just kind of like bullshit. Like, you're not interested in actually learning about other cultures in a real way because if you actually followed through on learning about other cultures, you'd learn about how yours is fucked up. So like, they don't want to find that out. No, they don't want to go that far in the lesson plan. So in the syllabus, <laughs> in the syllabus. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, that's like my experience in going to the cinema here. And I don't know, maybe some. I think one of the next question connects to this. Mm. Mm. Um, to circle back to an earlier comment, um, you had said that art can't spark. A revolution. Um, no, it you... can't. It can, right. but like that, the art itself is like a catalyst. Not like it's like the art itself is like not something you don't need to bring the art to the revolution. That's what I'm trying to say. You don't need to like. So are you distinguishing art from other things? Oh. No, that was my initial question. My initial <laughs> question was going to be. No, I mean that's a good what question. What can though. spark the revolution? But then it's still saying that one thing is art and one thing is an art, right? But we don't need to. Yeah, because get you don't. Carried away, I'm like revolutionary. 
propaganda. Well, I mean, no, let's keep going here. So yeah, you you fun. don't you don't believe in a delineation where art is concerned. Like you're you, like I feel like you believe in this like art is this all consuming like lifetime thing. Like just, it doesn't stop when you walk into a studio or and clock in and clock out. Yeah, they say like they say like we can't retire from yeah. this life. Yeah. Um, which I actually tend to agree with. Yeah, a curator once told me that I was like, I'm tired, I'm done with art. And he looks at me like in the eye, grabs me on the shoulder, leans in and says, you know it, you know it ain't the fucking flu, right? And I was like, what do you mean? You'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of half-related, but the thing about um, after you retire, then you can start uh, you can pick up painting. Yeah. <laughs> I'll paint when I retire. Yeah. I heard that one several times. I mean, I feel like this is a lot of shit talk about painting that's unnecessary. I feel like everybody shit talks about painting. painting. Yeah, but I paint. The only <laughs> I, paint I painted. Like theory, the but... only reason I stopped painting is because I couldn't afford supplies. Right. It's very expensive. <laughs> I just started painting with other things. <laughs> <laughs> I paint with food. Yeah. I On with a... moments between people. <laughs> On an un- completely unrelated note, um, I did a VR 3D drawing last night. It was what? the coolest shit I've ever done. I have, be- because of one of my 5011 jobs, I have <laughs> access to. 5011? Yeah. I have access to, a, to, to like, um, VR equipment. Um, and a student of mine was using it for one of the works for their critique and let me draw, and it was amazing. <laughs> like this idea of drawing in a non-space and drawing three-dimensionally, it was fantastic. It's too bad VR equipment is completely inaccessible yeah, to most people. Yeah, like, sounds like some crazy expensive. shit. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. But <laughs> back to... That's some Black Mirror of season one, episode two shit. Ooh, <laughs> deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to talk about Black Mirror now, but I digress. So, <laughs> back to El Cielo Más Hermoso. Mm. Um, well, Max has the first question here. Do you? Want yeah, to- I feel like um, I was thinking about this, then I feel like, is it kind of weird to be asking these specific questions about a video that maybe a lot of people listening haven't seen? And I saved this question for the end, but I feel like I should ask it first. Mm-hmm. Um, is this video, like, it's currently showing at the Portland Biennial, um... At Disjecta. At Disjecta, Portland, Oregon. Um, is this video available elsewhere? Is this video available online? If somebody was interested in seeing it who couldn't make it to the biennial? I feel like if I can give access to you, and if anyone contacts you with interest to watching the video, you can give them access to it. Oh, wow. Okay. But it's not listed anywhere. It has to be, like, on the, like requested. Okay. If anyone is very interested in watching it before this conversation starts, you want to see it before we go deep into this, just get the link from NTP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. email us at natturnerproject0 at gmail and we, gmail.com, and we will send you the link to the video. We should honestly, this, this got me thinking that we should start like a, a bootleg section. Hmm. On the, like the website or something? It wouldn't or be something. bootleg, you would have permission. We just like have CDs <laughs> or something. Yeah. DVDRs. Yeah. I would definitely donate that. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. It started. Bootleg edition. Wait, so right. I still want to call it a bootleg, even though. Yeah, we should. Okay. Oh, my God. We should just, just make like VHSs of that video. Ooh. Yeah. Right? 
I had a working VHS not too long ago. How long? It's not too long ago. Like a year ago, but what I happened? gave it away because like it's ridiculous to own a VHS in <laughs> 2018. 2019, Melanie. At the time. You said a week ago. I said a year ago. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We'll edit that out. (laughs) Um, Okay, so yes. So let's say people have watched this video. Mm -hmm. They're enamored. Mm -hmm. They have questions. Mm -hmm. They want to know more. And they're like, how could I ever find out anything about the person who made this video? And you know what? We have... We have that person here. We do. Ruben Garcia Marufo, the creator of um, the film, the artwork. Um, El Cielo Más Hermoso. El Cielo Más Hermoso. Yes. Um, so, yeah, let's jump into it. All right. Um, we're all, we all know the video. Yes. Let's jump into it. Okay. Um, so, my first question, okay. out of curiosity, um, how did you how did you get in contact with the the people in the video? Um, there was there I was like doing some searches and I found out that there's a website called uh, Immigrant Story, um, which ha- which has like excerpts of interviews with immigrants in Portland and. Um, I contacted the webmaster, Sankar, and I told him like about my project and what I was trying to do. Sankar wanted a trade for the for the exchange of information. He wanted he has a project uh, on the Holocaust and he wants to make it into a film, but he doesn't know where to start. I told him, introduce me to these people, I will make a film of it and then you and I can write the project and we can use El Cielo Mas Hermoso. It wasn't the title right there at the moment. They had no title. And then we can use my film as uh, a framework of what it could be with another subject. And he was like, done. So he put me in contact with uh, um, Ivan, which was the Mexican... Uh, that crossed the border when he was like a very young kid around 12 and works at um, community outreach at Ron oh my god what's the name of the stadium Ron Perlman no that's not Ron Ron Perlman you are such a nerd oh my god you both knew who I was talking about so you're both nerds (laughs) (laughs) Ron Toskin Ron Ron I forgot. It's a. It's it's like a, a famous baseball player, and he has his own field, and it's in Hillsboro. It's like Hillsboro Hops, mm-hmm. and he does community outreach, and basically, um, you know, we I got in contact with him. He was like super excited, and you know that's how I got in contact with those people. They take to Sankar and his immigrant story project, which you can find online as an immigrant story. Oh, you just type immigrant story, and it's gonna pop up. And he's constantly doing, like, new work uh, and new interviews. And he has, like, this very ambitious film project. And apparently we offer a trade so I can get in contact with these people. And that's how I started with um, uh, Ivan. Um, 
And so the shot opens. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to snitch on both of y'all. Um, so you're like vaping in the studio. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> In light of everything that's going on right now. Moni Stevens, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's preposterous. For the viewer at home, this is unfounded. <laughs> so anyway, most importantly, um, <laughs> um, so the first shot opens on a smiling child um, in a stadium. Mm-hmm. And then we hear the... A white kid, yeah. I, okay, you said it. Um, and then we hear the um, national anthem. Um, and we realize it's a baseball field, right? Um, why did you choose to open with that? Were you interested in, like, this reveal? Or, like, this unfolding? Like, why choose to open on... Kind of uh, the ideology of like Americana. That's exactly why. <laughs> I just um, when I was uh, doing the interviews and shooting this thing, I had like my framework of this piece was that um, I I had a big problem with this. I was, like, commissioned this work, and the way that I've always worked was, like, people tell their stories. But I've always felt that there is something that I don't want to replicate when it's basically working with a story of someone else, and then how do I do the thing so I don't do the same thing, where Mm -hmm. I'm, like, it's kind of, like, goes into exploitation. And from the beginning, and part of the artist statement for this piece is that these people would always choose where, how, when, and what they were going to tell about their story. There's only one cue that I give them, and I told them that I was going to tell them that. Mm -hmm. But why open with, like, this highly American uh, sports event, which is, like, baseball, right? Mm -hmm. And it was very easy. It's like, there's nothing more American than baseball. I feel like... I mean, I saw the sign a lot as a kid. I was, like, super American. I feel like uh, and Mexicans play baseball, but we don't care about it as much as, like, football or, like, the Japanese love baseball. But there's, like, there's something about baseball that's just so American about it. And I was, as I was, like, invited in, like, was able to, like, document the baseball game, they start singing the anthem. And I was like, oh, here's my opening sequence. Because I needed to set up, like... I needed to set up, like, where the story was happening. Uh, it was, like, in Oregon, and, like, this... I feel like, yeah, it's, like, super white. I don't think I watched, like, a single person of color while I was in that fucking game. And it was, like... The I Hillsboro just, Hops. Yeah, the Hillsboro Hops. There Kid you was go. wearing a shirt that said Hillsboro Hops. And I wanted to create, like... I wanted, like, the first shot is having to have to, like, create this context immediately. It's, like, highly American, baseball anthem everyone like doing like the standing ovation or what is this what is that thing called pledge of allegiance pledge of allegiance pledge it's like like you know and the home of the brave right oh you just put your hand over your heart yeah hand over heart right it's or, been so long <clears throat> since i've done it i don't even remember what it's called to be honest with you. so that's why i decided <laughs> to go with that and 
and when I was uh, going through the day, the last thing that uh, Ivan did was I was like recording him working and everything, and then he looks at me and he's like, "This is how I jump the border, man." I know. And then he starts like going over a fence while he's working, at, you know, just trying to get like some cable from the other side of the fence inside the stadium and he just jumped the fence and there's like an American flag waving behind him and it's like this is my opening sequence like right here it's like while everyone is celebrating their American as like there's people just like you know I want to get in on this thing yeah. um, because for some reason you know there's more I don't know like there's something that I feel like people that whenever it's like why do people come here like the American dream is a joke and everything but it's like I've worked all my life since I was 12 and I think since I first like first like since I've moved here is the longest I've been able to like rest and like work not as hard as I used to and be able to create art and like and not worry too much about you know money and stuff like that And I feel like that's something that people from third world countries still see, like that kind of like economic opportunity to come over here. And I feel like with all these white people were like celebrating them being American, there's like these people trying to get in. I was like, I want, I want in on that shit. You know, like you're all like having all this much fun and like enjoying all these economic like growth. And like, I know there's another crisis coming, but still, um, I just wanted to show like this the baseball field as this mutable place that whoever occupies it, you know, uh, the conditions change. Mm -hmm. And the first sequence is with the baseball game and him jumping into the place. And when he's, once he's inside, you know, there's another sequence that comes after that, which, again, we can talk about it. Yeah. But I guess that's why I decided to open, like, yes, like, it was a very obvious use of Americana. It's mm -hmm. like, I needed to, like, make this, like, I want this shit to feel like this American as fuck. Or, yeah. like, would, would seem like, what is, like, the most American thing or, like, the most bland American thing? <laughs> Baseball, anthem, flag. <laughs> check. Yeah, like, check, check, check. <laughs> All right, so that, that's a, uh, an interesting seg into my next question. Um, there are, In between the narratives, which we'll get into, you have these um, clips of children playing. Um, very visceral. Um, what are the difficulties involved in filming children? And then also, like, what was the narrative conceptual reason for their inclusion? I know, for me, like, in watching all of the shit that's going down right now with immigration um, and the ICE, um, and, like, my complicity complicity as an American in watching all of this happen. Like, one of the things that I find, like, both fascinating and disheartening is how, like, the use of children 
is like being like thrown into this as like a way to garner empathy from people um when people should have cared like 10 years ago they should have cared five years ago like this idea of like it having to be a child to care that this shit is happening is really weird to me um so i'm wondering like like was that in the like back of your head as like a narrative device um the decision why I decided to show the kids uh, the first like the hardship of working with kids yeah or the difficulties with working with kids is like um, kids nowadays are very um, very savvy about media mm. so I would always ask like yo kids what's up um, I'm here with uh, Ivan I'm wondering if you can let me shoot like some video while you're playing a lot of them said yes there was two kids that say no because they like, no, my mom doesn't let me be recorded because I don't know where it's going. And I was like, okay, that's fair. Okay. But everyone else was very into it. And I feel like, uh, you know, they... I think it's, like, also connected to the fact that they never feel like a camera on them or, like, they're not important or, like, whatever it is that they have to say, do, or it's not important. Mm-hmm. So whenever like a camera or attention is given to them, like they welcome it, and um, they even before like I there's while I was shooting there, Ivan told him like this is Ruben, he's gonna be shooting, he's with me, don't be afraid of him, he's like one of us, blah 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 blah, blah. you know. He like introduced me to all the kids while they were like eating and having lunch. This was a summer camp day in the Ron. Tonkins, there you go, Ron okay. Tonkins feel, uh, and this was done by Ivan. This was part of his like community outreach to the, to the, like Latin American community in like Hillsborough, and he's like, we need to do like a, a Latin Kids Day so they can come and like have fun, right? Mm-hmm. And he introduced me to him. Like, thanks to him, he gave me access to all of these things. So it's like you contact one person, and then one person whoosh, opens up the. That's like one of the. One of my favorite things as a filmmaker is that if you find the right person, that person gives you access to, like, a lot of the things that could potentially end up in a movie, right? Yeah. And what was going in my mind why showing the kids is, like, I know a lot of the narratives right now about, uh, right now going around with kids and migration and the border is, like, this... Like I said uh, earlier, is like kids in cages. And mm-hmm. it was so obvious. Also, like, I feel like one of the artists also in the biennial, she fucking pitched it perfectly for me. You open the door, look to the right and up, and there's like, there's still kids in cages, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, that's obvious, right? Yeah. But as same, you said uh, how kids are being used to yeah. give attention to this uh Situation. I think it's the same thing as the refugees, like the Greek refugees, mm-hmm. as they. Um, no, they were in Greece refugees, uh, but the refugees. You know that image of the kid, dead, on the shores of the ocean. Yes. And the other one with the father that was carrying it on. I feel like the only moment that these bodies become important is in death. Like these mm-hmm. these bodies of colors become important once after death and the only way that that can happen is by the exploitation of their death to a perp to like uh to a cuss and i didn't want to show kids sad i didn't want to show kids in cages i didn't want to show them like being in problems i wanted to show kids having 
a good fucking time. I want Yeah, I showed them being kids. Yeah, I wanted them to be kids. These kids had the opportunity to be kids. Yeah. And they didn't they don't have I mean, at least in how this is cut, they don't carry the burden of these other dead people and like all these like propaganda and I feel like that's what I wanted to show the kids too and I just wanted them to be kids. Yeah. Um um and you can see like what surrounds the stories of these kids yeah. are very like traumatic stories of migration, escape, refuge, and it was border often crossing. very jarring for me to go from these scenes of like these kids just like being children and like enjoying each other and like discovering the world around them to like these narrative like counterparts um, that are talking about like crossing the border and like what they had to like endure and go through to get to this other side of this thing that was constructed. But yeah, it was very effective. Um, and I really liked the way that you juxtaposition those things. Um, because you're right. I feel I'm just, I'm personally tired of the way that trauma is used. Like for me, centering trauma is often the same as centering the oppressors because it's like admitting that that's the only way you can get their attention you know like that's the only way to elicit any empathy and I don't know if that is the thing like if it takes trauma and death and pain to get someone's empathy then you don't really have their empathy I don't know that's just no that is that is very true um like why do i need to be suffering in order for you to hear me mm-hmm. that kind of thing right it um, should be enough that i've told you that yeah. this is happening and that is the decision of like i just i wanted to show these latin kids like having fun enjoying themselves yeah but not at the same time negating that there these things are happening but i didn't want to like capitalize on the fact of kids in cages like right. that other piece. Yeah. When it was like, oh, thank you for teeing up. You know, like, they pitched it. I'm just a, you know, like, you just put it out of the park. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want to have, I, I didn't want to, like, I, it's not like I don't want to acknowledge it. Right. But I don't want to replicate it. And that's what this whole piece was, is how, what is my position here as a filmmaker telling these stories and that's why I've struggled a lot when people ask me to go back into this narrative mm-hmm. um, and this whole piece was like situating myself as a filmmaker in these narratives that was like the whole the whole process of making this piece yeah um, yeah that was kind of hard well that that segs into my next question you're you are like filming and like archiving people as they recount like very painful memories like it was it was very difficult for me to like sit through some of the the stuff that was being described like what kind of responsibility do you feel you hold as a filmmaker when provided with that kind of generosity of like them sharing these like often horrific things that have happened to them well like I said that was like my main concern um, while making this piece is I was recording these people and they were like really uh, 
generous in what they were saying and I told them like you're gonna be relieving things and you're gonna I'm gonna give you like moment for you to like tell things and then rest and like you know and if I I told them like you have complete control of this Mm -hmm. do not feel forced you can say no at any moment stop you have I'm here to bear witness Mm -hmm. and like record it and I don't know if that was like the best way to go at it, but at the moment it was, and I was like, as like the most simple form of documentary, which is like the fly in the wall, which is the one that I don't like. <laughs> but I feel like that was the only position that I could take, right? Yeah. Um, and I, that's what I told him. Like, you have absolute agency. You you can pick where, when. How are you going to tell your story? To who? Everything. Yeah. And my, I mean, I, it was like, I think my position would be like compared to kind of like a bard, you know, like mm-hmm. someone else tells it to me and I'm able to like tell it again. But then I don't see the value of me telling it again. That's like the hardest thing of this piece was like, why am I saying it again? You know, that that was, like, my hardest, like, the hardest thing. And then I didn't realize it until I was, like, almost finishing it. It's like, what is the value of me retelling this story? Like, do people need, do I need to point at this thing and tell, like, this is happening? People already know about it. Do I just, do they need to hear it from their mouths? Do they need to hear them from their faces? And that's, like, what I, like, that's why it's so hard for me to go back to these kinds of works. Because I, it's, it's. It's painful for me. It's painful for them. And that's when I started to think, like, is there another way where we can have these conversations where you're not being, like, having to relieve these things? Um, That's why I gave them complete control. And but at the same time, I didn't feel comfortable at the end. You know, I know, like, I made, like, it's something that I was like heartfelt and like informative and at some levels like kind of beautiful but I feel sometimes like really awful about it that's like my cross to bear I guess yeah Max do you have a question um yes I do um hmm. Oh yeah, so um did wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> That is the first thing you warned us not to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't spill any mezcal on the equipment. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I observed it. That's okay. Sort. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go Max. Um, yeah. So you talked about um, you talked about uh the kids. You talked about um, Ivan at the baseball stadium. Um, can you talk about maybe a little bit about the? Because I feel like from my memory, there's still like at least like two other people that are kind of like important interviews. Um. Where where was Ivan? Where these other people? Um, 
how did you like compensate them? Um, and then maybe the second part is, did any of them end up checking out the piece mm. at the biennial? That's a good question. Um, and then, yeah, um, maybe also um, in, in answering that, maybe filling us a little bit in on um, the two other interviewees. Yeah. The other um, two interviewees was uh, Victor Bencomo, uh, a Venezuelan refugee that was uh, exile, like forced exile, I guess that's <laughs> the best way to go at it, from his own country and family because he was being persecuted by um, uh, the government's people, which is basically... Um, they get targeted and they start following them and he escapes the shootout after a protest in Venezuela and just because of that he has to leave the country and hmm. a part of it that was not shown was how he was able to escape was that he had and he said so like the, the, the he said so himself that I was he was like very lucky because he was able to like you know get away when he was going in the airport, there were like six other people. Out of those six, only two were able to leave because he had like high high value items in his bag. He had like uh, a clock and I think some cash. The military took it and it's like you can leave. Mm. And the other person, Stephanie. Uh, which <laughs> her interview was done in a YouTube makeup tutorial because that's, that's what she does. Yeah. That's what she does. She told me, like, well, I do YouTube videos. You I, can make it, like, as a YouTube t makeup tutorial video. I was very familiar with, like, the YouTube makeup, like, culture. Yeah. <laughs> and for her, the reason for her to leave was not because she was being persecuted, but because... She had the opportunity to come to the United States because her mother was married to uh, a Mexican-American. And she her plan was never to stay in, in the United States, but things got worse in Venezuela. And she her whole piece is about, like, the privilege of being... The privilege of having... Of being, like, a legal immigrant. Mm -hmm. She talks about the, the, the privilege of being legal and having, like, uh, all of your paperwork and everything... Um, that does, even if you have those things, it doesn't make it even any easier. Yeah, she talked about the corruption and exploitation of that system, too. Yeah. It also in Venezuela, where she goes back when she, because she needs to get some paperwork, her passport is not, uh, her passport needs to be renewed, and the uh, Venezuelan government is like extremely corrupt, which I feel like um, Mexico has that not as the same level as Venezuela, of course, but. The thing of, like, you pay me and you go up in the line, that's, like, something that I'm very familiar with. So I decided to leave that in. Um, she talks about also about how uh, her having papers and, like, she talks about, like, the privilege of having, being, like, a legal immigrant and having everything in order because other peoples are here like Victor is on a refugee visa and that one could be revoked at any moment and he could be sent back to Venezuela. Oh. And about compensation, I paid each of them like a, an amount. I don't know if you want me to say the amount. Yes. Yes. $150 each. Okay. Um, and 
I mean, I still see Victor and Tiffany. They became, like, honestly, I really like them, and they're, like, really fun. I still hang out with them. Big, the, Ivan lives in Hillsborough, so we just text from oh. time to time. Because <laughs> 30 <laughs> minutes is too far away. From my from my Volkswagen bug and its condition, <laughs> yes, it's kind of far away. Okay. But I invited all three of them. Victor is working right now on a... Like he says, he's working all weekends. So he can make it, and they couldn't make it. And but I did say in the video to each of them so they can see it, and they loved it. Okay. Uh, they were like, "Oh my god, thank you very much." Also, I sent Tiffany all the videos so she can make a YouTube episode out of it. <laughs> I don't know if she's gonna do it, but <laughs> that's it. No, yeah, like compensation was like part of it. Yeah. Then um yeah, that kind of leads me a little bit to my next question. Um, you talked about like yeah, two of the people being from Venezuela. Um, and then, yeah, like, I guess curious about, like, this break, like, in the, in your researching and your meeting of people, like, um, this breakdown of, like, where people were from, or it seems like there's potentially some Venezuelan community in Hillsborough, or, um... No, Portland. In Portland. Hillsborough? Portland. Portland. And, um, and yeah, I guess maybe, I think part of my question was, um, the, the length that people have been here, I don't know if it was, if I was correct in thinking they all had seemed to be around the same amount of time here. But, yeah, um, I mean, Ivan's um, been here for, like, a long time because mm-hmm. he came here when he was 12. Victor oh. wanted to be the farthest away he could be from Venezuela. And the uh, immigration person told him, like, I got the perfect, the perfect place for you, Portland. And fucking... Uh, Victor loves Portland. He's like in love with it. He fucking loves this shit. And <laughs> and Bethany, Tiffany and Victor made each other like on Instagram through like this common Venezuelan account. Oh, they both yeah. commented in it and say like, I'm from Portland. And someone said like, I'm also from Portland. Did you meet? You know. Um, why Venezuela? I feel like that was like the first time of me like trying to like, there's other kinds of borders. Let's talk about those other things, but still being like very geographical about it so they can relate to it. Um, because they also had to like cross some other form of boundaries. And that was like my first attempt of like having uh, Iban being like my avatar, like my version of me inside the film was like this Mexican that crossed the border very differently. But he sets the stage for, like, all the other ones, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, like, I relate to him in a very special way. And then he sets up the stage of him crossing into the United States in a very, like, uh, reminiscent way of, like, how someone jumps the fence. And these uh, 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 Victor and Tiffany cross in a very different way, right? And it's, like, another form of, like, crossing that boundary and that border, and it's, like, me kind of, like, uh, slowly trying to, like, go this other way of, like, not looking at the fence all the time. And that's why I decided to, like, put their stories in there. It's, like, this, there's other forms of, like, people are crossing this border, not necessarily by jumping it or, like, the illegals, you know, how, like, they're called or whatever. Like, we need the wall, you know, like, all that shit. It's, like, no, there's, like, other mechanisms to the border machine, like, the as a refugee status and or like you know your mom being able to like pull you from wherever you are yeah because she's your mom (laughs) 
and you know give you the opportunity to have like papers in another country which is very similar to my story which is my mom smuggled me in her belly a few days before I was born crossed the border they didn't notice that she was pregnant then she got me in LA and then like two days later we went back we went back to Mexico <laughs> oh wow Um, Mother is the first other. Did you make that up? I don't know, maybe. That's pretty good. Oh. Why do you like it? <laughs> Many reasons. <laughs> Mother is the first other? Yeah. Interesting. Um, so Max has a question here that I've been dying for him to ask. You don't want to skip yours? Right. Oh, wait, wait. Who? Wait, wait, no, who? no, no, never mind. Okay, okay let me oh, get back right. to mine. Melanie stole it from me. <laughs> Sorry. She was handing me, handing me the Sorry. thunder, <laughs> and then she took it back. So. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Um, <laughs> um, so, like, I know that the way we name these podcasts is, like, we wait for, like, some strange or funny thing that's said during the podcast and that's how we come up with the title i was wondering if that's how you came up with the name for your movie that's how i came up with all the titles of all of my things okay um can we talk about that moment um oh, in the man. film assuming um, everyone has watched already yeah yes a spoiler alert um, if you haven't watched the film... Wait, wait. As a policy, I don't believe in spoilers. So we can go ahead. We know that. <laughs> we do? <laughs> this guy tried to fucking tell every goddamn fucking ending of a goddamn fucking movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I feel like that's an argument that happened way before... You know it, Melanie. You know. <laughs> That's right. I think Ruben has spoiled me on a couple of movies. Yeah, he's like, oh, it doesn't matter. You'll still like it the same. It's like, we're not all like you, Ruben. Some, some of us want to be surprised. Yes, we do. Yeah. We like the experience. Mm-hmm. Bruce Willis is dead, y'all. Bruce Willis is That's dead. That's unnecessary. That is absolutely unnecessary. I think it's been 20 years. I I've think been, it's safe. I've been waiting to see that movie, and now I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's safe. It's been 20 you years. You have ruined Die Hard. I hope you're happy. I thought we were it's, talking about the Rookie. That's what we were talking about. <laughs> 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 All right, so that moment, um, I teared up at a couple of intervals of this film, and this was definitely one of those moments where Yvonne is talking about, like, the, like, that moment. Well, he's he's talking about, like, the process of crossing, carrying his sister. Um, and I did not know until you just said this that he was 12 at the time, um, which is a lot. And now I want to go back and watch it again. Um, but he says, um, but for a moment, I forgot the chaos because I saw the most beautiful sky, El Cielo Masumoso. Yeah. And he's talking about how, like, the stars were so bright. Um I could see the Milky Way and, like, that moment where you have, like, this, I want to call it, like, this out-of-body astral projection, like, experience where you realize just how small you are in the middle of all of this. Um, and I just, I don't know, what was your inspiration behind naming it El Cielo Mas Hermoso? 
Um, I could go into like very a lot of poetic ways of like why I decided to that, but I think it's one of the most. I think it's just one of the most beautiful moments in the film, and we all. I feel like we all are standing under the same sky. It's like undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, the circumstances of how we stand under that same sky can change, but we're all under the same sky. And I kind of wanted to, all of my work, it's always like, yes, there are these obvious separations. There are these obvious things that makes us different. There are these obvious ways that people treat us different. And there's these very obvious ways how some people have opportunities and others don't. And I just wanted to have, like, in some moment in this piece where, like, where is the thing that could, you know, unites us all is, like, not all, but, like, we all are standing under the same sky. And that is, like, something that um, Ivan did, like, perfectly in that scene. I even told him, like, you need to do that again. (laughs) 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 And, you know, um, that's just, like, there's moments that just take you when you're like filming and you can you can plan for those things and that was one of them and that's something that that he did say and it's like you know what we're gonna do that scene again mm-hmm. because it's just like I know this is this is like the scene of the thing mm-hmm. um, and I don't know I just feel like we are under the, these same skies and that's something that connects us. We all look at the same stars. Um, and just, you know, I just wanted to find, like, this one thing in this whole narrative that connects all of them, and that was it. It was like, we're all under this beautiful, the most beautiful sky. Cielo más hermoso. I think it's, like, that simple as that, is that these, uh, most of my films are always... The titles are found in what people say, not something that I want to put on them. But I think they f- like the f- the film finds itself as you're like, you know, trying to define it and editing and shooting. And this was that moment. It was like obvious for me that that was gonna be the title mm-hmm. at that moment. Was like this is I was like I saw the most beautiful sky. I was like yeah, this is it. You can't deny that. That's gonna be the moment. You know. Sorry if maybe my answer was... No, it's perfect. Okay. Yes, Ruben, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> two-parter. First part, um, you know, talking about this idea of art being at, pointing at things. And um, it makes me think about the degrees in which one points, right? Like the finished work as pointing at something. But all these, like, I feel like... Seeing the movie, talking to you, or seeing the film, talking to you, then also being familiar with, like, the way you work, um, and even just, like, what you said is so much, like, it's, like, these different, like, levels of pointing. It's, like, um, okay, here I am at the baseball stadium, at the baseball arena, the baseball field park. At the baseball, yeah, all baseball expo, sports ball. Yeah, at the baseball, at the baseball hall. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the American flag goes up. Um, the white kid gets him out of the way for all these little brown faces. Um, the national anthem comes on. And you're like, oh yeah, 
this is a moment. Um, Ivan jumping over the fence um, and then, like, walking out saying, like, oh, yeah, then I left the door open for, for everybody else, right? This is, like, a moment. Like, I feel like these moments of, like, pointing to, like, a further pointing. Or, like, maybe it's not you pointing at it, but it, maybe it's, like, the thing you're trying to unveil pointing at you in some way, right? Um, I think you're going to ask how I decide to edit this. No, 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 no. I, I can, I can, like, I feel like I see, like, I can see the, the unveiling, revealing, um, knowing what to point at, right? Like, here's the story. What do I point at? Um, what's my second part? The second part, um, I feel like there's a word for it. I was looking for it online or just on my phone right now where we were talking. <laughs> but, like, for movies that say the title in the movie and, like, that being that moment. The titular right, line? Yeah, and then be like, this is the Fellowship of the Ring. You know, or or that's the, Lord of the Rings music. Yeah, that's the that's the Prisoner of Azkaban. You know, <laughs> or, but you know things like that. You know, yeah. um, and you're like, oh, and it, and it feels like you didn't realize it was just an itch until you were like, oh, that it like connects. It's like a mm-hmm. a bones popping. It's a the release yeah. of some bones popping. I like that. Yeah. I like yeah, to use that. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think, yeah, you know, obviously you know your craft. So that was more of a comment, not a question? There's questions in there. Okay. <laughs> What's the question? <laughs> um, this unknown white lady that appears yeah, yeah, and yeah. disappears throughout the film. Yeah. Can we... <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. Um care to elaborate or will this be revealed in a sequel <laughs> um i don't know i think you noticed that uh <laughs> um uh, story uh bencomo el benco um he's it's the only one that's in english i don't know if you noticed that yes and the only reason why these stories in English is because he starts talking to this lady. And like I said before, there was a moment that I told him, like, there's only one cue that I'm going to give you. And that one cue is going to be you're going to reenact that moment. And that's it. And for Ivan was the moment where he sees the tree line and the walls and he's carrying his sister. It's like, we're going to reenact that. And that's it. And for... Um, for uh, Victor was that moment where I was just like, you know, I was just like shooting at Rocky Butte, getting some B-roll. He's, I had my microphones on and like recording everything. And he starts talking to this white lady because she starts asking questions. Of course she does. Uh, of course she does. And then there's a moment where she asks like, you know, the seminal question of <laughs> Melanie's losing it. The question was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Then this white lady starts asking, like, oh, where are you from? You know, that question that we always get. And she's like, he's like, oh, I'm from Venezuela. And you can hear this, okay. You know, like, she wasn't expecting that answer. and she It's not the answer that she wanted. And she was, like, so uncomfortable by it. I was like, fuck it. Let's just fucking dump this story on her. That was, like... He started talking to her in English and everything because we had, like, a whole interview about what he likes to do while we were riding his car and it was in Spanish. But I was, like, like I said, I was getting B-roll, and you can see in the film that I'm, like, watching 
to like the I think it's Vancouver on the left and the river. And then he starts talking and just start turning the screen and there's like some white couple kissing and I turn I around. And then he's like talking to these people. He's like, no, I'm from Venezuela. And it's like, oh, I'm glad you were able to get out when things got worse. And he's like, yeah. And then after that, I'm like, <laughs> I stop and was like, you're going to dump this story on her. And you're going to reenact the story that you told me about you and your sister running away from the government officials. And she's going to be your sister. And you're going to run with her and everything. You ready? And he's like, yeah, yes, of course. Of course I am. And it's like, okay, let's do this. Let's dump this story on this white lady. And then she was like, we're going to do this. Are you okay with it? And she's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And the reason why they decided to put that white lady in is because she basically wrote, she put herself in there. And I was like, okay, you want to put yourself in there? Okay, I'm going to, you're going to be, you know, if you're going to put yourself in there, I'm going to use you to be a prop in this thing. And that's she's what a, she eventually what she became. She's yeah. the right? access point. Yeah. yeah. And for the access point, that's the other thing. Uh, it's like the only. The only thing, the only part of the story that is in English is because that white lady started asking questions, and that is the only reason why I put her in. It's like, oh, you want to be in here? Okay, let's fucking go all the way in. White lady is asking questions, and that's the reason why this had title. <laughs> Titular line. <laughs> that's the reason why I decided to put her in. Like, Victor is like the Victor's like so nice, and mm-hmm. he was like, well, I'm asking these questions. And I'll answer them. Um, but I was like, you know what? No, let's just dump this story on her. Just like, boom, like dump it on her. And the people that watch it, that ask for the link and everything, you're going to see at some moment, she's like incredibly uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. She's like super uncomfortable. It was, it was like, visceral. Yeah. No, it's like, you're going, you're going. You know, if you're here, you're fuck it. You're here. I'm going to, you're going to go all the way through. Mm-hmm. You started it, you finish it. Yeah. And that's like why I decided to put this white lady in there. Everyone's like, why do you put that white lady in there? Man, she just was like opening arms and was like, come at me. I was like, I'll come at you. And She put herself in there. Yeah, that's it. She put herself in there. No one else asked him any questions. No one else was like interested in Victor, but this white lady was like, hi, how are you doing? You know? Um, and then we come to find out that white lady is... I don't know anything about this white lady. <laughs> it could be like a reveal, like oh, okay. Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> 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 164 in that. <laughs> Have y'all seen that clip of her doubling down on that bullshit? Oh my god, no. Oh, okay, well, that's another. Okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> so I think like I don't know if you like my answer. Don't but spill it. No, I won't. I don't know if you like my answer, but that's she just like honestly she just was there. Mm-hmm. She wrote herself in, and I was like, you want in? I'm taking you all the way in. And she gave you an access point. Yeah. And basically, I knew that mostly, I think this is one of those things that we want to have on the Patreon paywall. <laughs> I knew that this Jekta was going to have, like, a mostly white audience, which, I don't know, Max, you went. I was surprised. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Mezcal, have you drank? It's mostly squirt. Okay. <laughs> old, old, old bar trick. <laughs> just make it seem like you're drinking. Ah, yes. And you like throw mm-hmm. it behind you. you tell the, you have a deal set up with a bartender where they just serve you a, a soda. Indeed. Um. So yeah, that is like she just like 
walked Hellserve into the movie. And I was like, you want in? I'm just going to, like, take you all the way in. Manifest destiny. <laughs> Did Were there points during that part of the filming where you could tell that she wanted to cry uncle and just Wait, what do you, what's cry uncle? Oh, um, so basically uncle means, like, you know, tap out. I don't want to do this oh. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a moment in the film that I left in where... Um, um, Victor was like laying down. It was like we were hiding from these people and everything. And then he said like, um, then I told these people to run away. And then I gave him my cue. It was like, get us out of here, Victor. Get us out. And he was like, you want me to get us out? Get us out. And then he grabs her and he's like, and you're running again. And it's like, and we're running again. And she's just like, oh god damn it, what I got myself into. And I think it's just the, those moments of like uh, this thing. Like I feel like a lot of like white gringos just do these things of like ask and just expect like for you to give him an answer and then walk away and I was like no 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 now you stay yeah you want the answer you get the full answer you get the whole thing and I was like here you go this story I'm dumping it on you boom you know yeah yes and that was like that was honestly the reason why I was like sometimes I feel like they just I don't know I just I just love that scene. I was like, oh, you just like, oh, you walked into my trap. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why that white lady is in there. All right. And also access, it's like, like I said, it's the only moment in the movie that is in English. Yeah. And that is because of her, because she's the one that started the conversation, not Victor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to say, like, when, like, the that happened, the English part, it took me a little bit out because like it was kind of jarring like that random like piece of <laughs> english <laughs> but yeah and um was she compensated <laughs> of course not she got a picture of us i think that's it oh okay she which, had a, which I'm, a fun adventure she, from the she's beat. like i admit like i think victor showed me a screenshot of her uh of her uh facebook post I think oh this. she was like i just met two people that are gonna change the, these are the people that are gonna change the world i was like Bitch, we're just trying to survive out here. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. I was about to make a joke about how she posted that picture on all her social media. Mm-hmm. Oh, she did. <laughs> and I was like, okay, take a picture. Cause you know what? She the, is a more refined, cultured person, having had a conversation yeah. with y'all. The ladies at yoga won't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly feel like when we went to watch like Last Black Man in San Francisco, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yes, that's like how they feel. Mm. It's like they feel like they've done good. Yeah. And I was like, this is so weird. Can you talk about how this movie is fucking amazing? No, they feel like I feel like we've done good. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Go invest in. Go I feel like we've done good because we have recognized the existence of people other than us. Yeah. Where's my cookie? <laughs> <laughs> Title. Titular line. Where's my cookie? Where's my cookie? <laughs> All right, I have a question. Yeah. So there's like, there's a point in the film, I think it's at the, I want to say like the 18, 19 minute mark, mm-hmm. where um, the narratives kind of come to a close and then there, um, the there's a sequence, sequence of, yeah, of like, just kind of like poignant stares um, and then the score comes in. Who did the score? The score was made by, it was like, Directed by me and composed by Justin Highsmith and, like, 
we did it in 15 minutes. It was like a jam session. Well, she played the piano. And Justine. I Justine Highsmith, yeah. yeah. And we decided to go with like, I think it was like E minor and like A, A after that. It was just like, I played the guitar and she kept going with the piano and I jumped in. And there's, like I said, I told Max this this many times before, is like there's like a very... Uh, there's like a very strong relationship between like Latin Americans, specifically Mexico and like the guitar as like, you know, you know, like mariachi and mm. like, but we both know that the guitar is like Spanish mm -hmm. and we talk about how hard it is to like decolonize that part of like Mexican culture and whatever. And I think I wanted to bring that in because um, that was like, I feel like that was like the only moment in the film that I I was like I'm gonna show a little bit of myself which was the music and I do consider myself like a product uh, of like and product of like imperialism colonization and like the white supremacy concept of mestizaje right um, I can't claim one or I can't claim either I feel like that's how I feel for for our listeners who may not be aware can you break down um, what that term is and oh. what the meaning of that is. Are we are we making things legible for? Folks? I do think that's interesting. Okay. No, I mean you don't. Obviously, you don't have to. Okay. Let's just mumble <laughs> and maybe <laughs> and maybe shake um, aluminum foil together. <laughs> um, but I mean, we can talk about legibility. But <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tell anybody anything. I'm gonna I'm walking out of the booth. Okay. <laughs> Touche, Max. Fine. Point proven. Because uh, last episode you talked about um, environmental racism. I did. You're right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to be that person. <laughs> so, what are we doing? If you if you would like to, that's totally up to you. But if you're like, no, no let, yeah, them, yeah, yeah. let them Google translate that, then, you know. I can, give, I can give them, like, the definition of, like, what it means and my own interpretation of it. Um, like, the definition of mestizaje is basically the mixing of indigenous um, indigenous people in the Mexican geographic area with uh, Europeans, and specifically Spaniards. And that's how I consider myself, but I know, like, it's also what is considered to be the identity of the Mexican national. Uh, disregarding indigenous and black Latinx or like black Mexican in by creating that right I understand that but I know like stripes like Mexico's always been like pro-indigenous like all of history Mexico's history is considered like a history of defeat not one of victory like the one of the United States Mexico's history is one of defeat like we lost and we got conquered and we got destroyed that's it and how my interpretation of mestizaje is one that carries the wound of the one that receives the violence and the one that makes the violence. And it's like a self-inflicted wound. That's how I see it. And I don't know what I was going with this or what we were talking about before that I was going here. Could someone remind me? I'm too drunk. Um, you you were talking about the score. The score. And how the guitar. Yes. 
And I decided to bring in the guitar because I feel like that is, like, a big part of, like, how I can... It's like a signifier. It's like, oh, Mexican guitar, you know? Yeah. And it's like one of those little moments are like, I think I want to show, like, a little bit part of myself in there and was that good guitar. And a lot of the footage that was shown there was mine. It was, like, Super 8. It was, like, to call upon memories and things that were left behind. It, it was, like, there's spaces of my hometown. Because I, other than giving these people, like, 18 minutes of this film, I didn't feel that bad if I took two minutes out of it for myself. And that was, like my own way of like putting myself in their narratives like i feel you too i've left something behind and it's sad and it's like you know you carry it with your with you every time and i feel like that is one of the ways that we do it and some of the other images were by another project called like the silent night it was a super super eight project down in mexico made in mexicali like a few years ago by daniel rosas and the footage that I used was by um, mm, I forgot my name my friend's name shit I'm gonna I'm gonna use their graffiti names uh, Reos and Ness that was basically the ones that I used and mine and yeah it's ne res, Reos Ness and me that was basically the footage that I used which is um uh, the Super 8 footage and I think there's a moment where there's like a, this little girl mm -hmm. I kind of wanted you to make you feel like that little girl was the same girl doing the makeup tutorial and that's oh. where <laughs> the fiction and the fiction element comes in it made me wonder if it was one of your nieces yeah because you know me yeah <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that scene you're talking about and I did wonder if there was a connection between the little girl and yeah, yeah that's like there's a little moment where I can like put my artist statement in is like like fiction and reality like fiction and reality I did want you to wonder is like is that her mm -hmm. was that her yeah was that her life um, is it is it fiction if it's also footage of real things and it's still like I feel like relevant to the video and like it's still like super aid of like you driving by the border and stuff like that is that is that fiction it depends of like how you change the context of what it was shot. I think that's what makes it fiction. Mm. If you change like if you tell like oh I was like if you change the context of what that if you change what was shown before and after that shot, that's when it turns into fiction. Not necessarily that it was a fiction all along. But if you you are creating a fiction because I show you all these images before, then I show you this little girl that has very similar features to Tiffany. Then you wonder, like, was that her? In that moment, that's where the fiction starts. So does that make the previous stuff fiction? I don't. I, for the people that are not seeing me, I opened my arms and was like, maybe. His arms are open. <laughs> oh, this is like the second Creed reference we've Has had. It? Too uh -oh. many Creed references from, for me to feel comfortable with. Me? You don't like Creed? Have they both been for me? Um, it was, it was something with Ariella's interview. I 
Did yeah. Ariella say something about Creed, or was it me during Ariella's interview? I just want to know. I can't remember who if made I need the to like <laughs> interrogate myself. I think you do. I think you do. <laughs> Either way, that's too too many Creed references. Yeah. In a podcast. <laughs> Um, Maybe we should start hashtagging Creed and get some more listeners. <laughs> hey, that scene with motorcycles in the first Creed. Oh, I love that scene. Wait, scene with motorcycles in the first Creed? <laughs> like, were the ATBs, like, in the middle of the suit in Philadelphia? And he's like, ah, just, like, I don't know if I them. know that. What? Yeah, oh, the movie yeah. Creed. No, that's, movie Creed, why, yeah. that's why the reference got made the first time, because it got confused with the movie Creed. Wait, so the first reference was talking about the movie Creed. And then it was, like... Somehow the band creed came up. Came it was up. conflated. Yeah. Yes. I would never thought about the band creed about here. I mean, let's not all forget that there was a time when Creed was the hottest thing on the street. With arms wide open. Oh, oh shit! I get creed? it now. I get it. I'm with just arms saying, wide open. Yes. Uh, it was like I in think, a gondola or something, right? I think, I think we all enjoyed Creed. I was too young Some to enjoy us, it. Really? Yeah. I think me and Melanie. Can I'm do the it. youngest person here. Listeners. That was just, <laughs> that unnecessary. was just unnecessary. I mean, what? Why are you calling up our ages here? Somebody else brought it up. <laughs> anyway, baby Max. Baby Max. Baby Max. <laughs> that's baby Max. right. Um. <laughs> Happy belated birthday, Money Stevens. Thank you. Happy belated Mar- uh, our Libra. Uh, Virgo, actually. God damn it. Okay. Virgo, Libra, cusp, but apparently I'm a Virgo. Okay, Virgo. It's a new reality for me. To new realities. <laughs> to new realities. To new realities. Here, here. <laughs> um, kind of related. I was thinking about this while watching it and knowing your, like, style. You were doing everything the whole time. You were, like, personing the camera and holding the microphone because it seems like a two-person job, but you're managing to do... Lavalier. What the fuck's a lavalier? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you asked because I have um, no idea. Honestly, part of the grand that are, like part of the payment that I used for this film was to buy like a wireless lavalier. Um, a wireless lavalier, a lavalier is like a very small microphone that you can hide inside a person's shirt. I feel like you've told me about this. Yeah, lavalier exactly. sounds like a Stephen King monster. <laughs> Langoliers. Yeah. Langoliers. <laughs> I, I love that movie. I saw it as a kid. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Is the one around the plane ride? Yeah, and like time like changes airport. or something. Yeah, I think I time dice. I think yeah. I had checked out of Stephen King by then. Yeah. Langoliers eat the matter when time goes by. See, there you go. Oh. And then there's a girl that's like uh, dying and shit, and there's a guy ripping newspaper. Fuck that shit. Um, <laughs> so lavaliers. <laughs> that was I. That was the reason why I got a lavalier. Mm-hmm. Specifically for this, so I can have nice, good audio for the first time, like in a while. Mm-hmm. Is it expensive? It was. Seven fifty. What? We dropped seventy dollars on a mic for this podcast, and I'm still waiting for the return on investment for that. <laughs> yeah. How many? Seventy. You get there. We will. When we figure out how to use the second mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to I wanna spend some time on the ending of your 22-minute oeuvre. Um, 
I was surprised that people stayed the twenty the whole twenty two minutes when it was in the opening. Yeah, like that's one thing I have to say about the opening. People really committed to watching the entirety of your film. I was I've I've been this I've been doing this for a while. Mexico, they do not stay. They don't give a single flying fuck. Mm-hmm. But I have to give it to like the Portland audience. They do stay. They mm-hmm. stay the whole twenty two minutes. Yeah. And I was like, wow, shit. Yeah. Because I kept walking by, like, thinking, oh, maybe there'll be a moment where I can actually sit on the bench and watch this. And, like, that bench never cleared. So A bench that was taken from the eye, from, like, um, the offices of immigration. What's I stand for? Immigration. Um, I feel like I should know this. Hold on. It was like the old ICE offices here at the post office. It's now PNCA. PNCA gave me the bench. And inside, in on that um, bench... Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Yeah. Um, which is a sub-department of the U.S. Department of Homeland Land Security. Security. Yeah, I do know that one. Mm-hmm. The HS. So, the installation is the video and like... Um, uh, a projection, white screen, surrounded by black, like a black space, kind of like a theater. And there's a bench in front of it, and that bench had was taken from the immigration center enforcement, mm-hmm. right? And that customs. bench, customs enforcement, mm-hmm. and that bench has uh, has scratch names, telephone numbers, countries. Mm-hmm of people that went through it and I just wanted people to sit on it while they're here to the while they listen to these stories and you know I don't know oh. it was just something that I wanted to do um let's cut that out <laughs> no <laughs> okay no no I think that's but yeah important. that bench was like I don't I think it was like a charge object and just the fact that people were sitting on it was like astounding to Probably, me. Probably like unwittingly. Yeah. yeah. They just saw it and then like what? You know? Yeah. Um so the part where Yvonne talks about like at the end, he says the crossing never ends. And he talks about how I'm always crossing borders, whether they're political or economic or personal. Um, that was this highly charged moment, right? I think that that was one of these, like, it was kind of an access point, I think, into a more nuanced conversation about borders. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Um, I can talk about, so, Ioan is an Aries. Okay. So every time I ask him something, okay, you nod your head. You you Portland folks like know what that means. Can you explain that to a layperson such as I who has so no Aries idea? So is basically a legibility, Melanie. Okay, <laughs> touche, Max. Touche. So he's an Aries, <laughs> he's an Aries, and Aries just go forward. Okay, that's it. Capricorns go up. Okay, Aries go forward. Taurus rounded. That's it. They don't go anywhere. And then. <laughs> Every time I ask him a question, Ivan would, like, jump on it immediately. Yeah. After he told me his whole um, 
crossing, border crossing and everything, I told him, like, you know, Ivan, I'm going to ask you another question. This is going to be the last one. I want you to take a minute for you to answer it. When do you... Th because you, when I ask you, tell me about your crossing story, you never fucking... You, when I ask... God damn it. When I ask Ivan about, like, you know, every time I ask him, he would jump on it immediately. Mm -hmm. Immediately he would jump on it. He wouldn't even think about it. He'd just empty it and start talking. When we were... After he told me everything, I was like, Ivan... When I asked you to tell me about your crossing story, you told me from months before it to, like, years after when you were with your dad because that's the reason why you crossed, because your dad was already on the other side and he was waiting for you. There's another part of this narrative that did not make the cut, but I can tell you about it after this. Okay. Um, you kept going. I told him, you kept going for, like, years. Not in our conversation, but in your life. You kept going for years. You kept going and going and going and going. You went to school, and then you went to high school, and then you became, like, the president of school, and then your goal in life is to become the president of Mexico because you plan on returning. And I don't want you to answer immediately. Take a minute. Tell me, when does this crossing end? And that's the moment that I got him to, like, for the first time, to slow down, think about the question, and then he gave me the answer. It never ends. Like, the crossing never ends. I'm more, like, interested in why it was, like, such an access point to you. Mm. Well, I guess for me... Like, there's the obvious stuff about borders and, like, the ramifications of borders um, and, like, who's creating them, how they are basically just kind of, like, these odd, random constructs that are designed to oppress people, right? There's that. Um, but I'm also very much interested in the ideas of respectability politics, um, especially from, like, immigrant communities and this idea of like coming to America um, and like kind of um, assimilating into like what this idea of American success looks like especially because like my parents are from the islands um, so that's kind of baked into my upbringing too so I have questions about like that about like what success looks like what what will you consider like um, having, like, achieved, like, here in this country? And, like, to what degree do you interrogate that, like, um, and consider the idea of, of assimilation kind of um, falling in line into a kind of complicity which contributes to all the reasons why you came here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think about that a lot because, like, it's baked into my family. Um, and I just think about how other um, communities consider that. You know what I mean? 
So like when he said the crossing never ends, like it makes me think of like this endless hamster wheel of living in this country and like absolve like absorbing these ideologies of hard work and how it gets you to this place that doesn't actually exist. You know? So yeah. And then what Yvonne said and the look in his eye, like I feel like I saw a spark of him recognizing the futility of that, you know? <sighs> that moment really got to me. Um, yeah, it was a rough moment. <laughs> no, yeah, like I feel like that has been my, my one of my goals of uh, my border period. I would call it while well, I've been here, like my Portland border period is that the border extends mm -hmm. all the way to where the person is. It's not like this event of like crossing this little line on the sand. The moment you cross it, it's like you're marked and it keeps going. It doesn't stop. Yeah. It's not like that's one of my problems with the big that's one of my biggest problems with the narratives of the border is that you crossed it you're in the United States you're safe now and I'm like nah bro that shit keeps going yeah. that's like the thing that I've been trying to tell is like it doesn't end with just getting into the United States and you're there you know it doesn't end just by crossing yeah. it keeps going yeah so that Joker movie, right? Oh, okay. Do you do you want to ask any more questions? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah, that was, that was like beautiful on both both sides. Just want to make sure. I don't know. I feel like sorry. I don't know. Like as as being like being raised in Mexico all my life, there's just like this heavy pessimism to everything. Mm -hmm. And when I moved into the United States and I heard about, like, Afro-pessimism and read about it, I was like, oh, shit, like, I feel like I understand part of it. Like, the pessimist part of it, mm -hmm. not the Afro part of it. But, like, the pessimist part of it, I'm like, yeah, like, I understand, I completely understand that, like, being in the, in, in, a, in a country that was ruled by, like, a single party for over 80 years you could feel like there was no other way. There was, like, no other way mm -hmm. other than, like, you know, being part of this party in order for you to survive. It was, like, there's nothing else yeah. in this country, you know? It was, like, every single little thing that you do is not going to get you anywhere. It's, like, very much an impossibility. And... I feel like, I don't know, I just relate to that part of, like, Afro-pessimism was, like, the pessimist part of it. It's like, yeah, you like, I don't know, it's like, kind of like, I don't know. It's just, like, how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, thank you, Ruben. Um, yeah, like, I feel like, um, you know, watching your film, starting to, like, be interested in like um care about these characters and these narratives then um 
talking to you and finding so much more about like all these people um and then um i feel like ivan in particular you're talking about his life and then um his goals and it makes me wonder are we i could see the beginning of something so i'm wondering if um we will see ivan again in a ruben garcia marufo um project vehicle endeavor if he is going to end up at the as president of mexico i would love him to be president no. of mexico <laughs> um uh, there's like the reason why i'm like doing this work is also i kind of want to re i want to bring all these people that i've interviewed into like another project it doesn't necessarily mean that i'm gonna like contact them again but i kind of want to create like this um compilation of of border crossings in america mm-hmm. i have aguirre which he is from salvador which was part of my thesis we have tiffany we have ivan we have victor and i kind of want to keep adding to it and eventually like make a like a cut yeah. of it that could be closer to like a feature film and just like like a testimony kind of thing um I would like to like work with Victor again. I would love to make him like feel like he would make like a really good character like because I don't know like I've hang out with him for a while mm-hmm. and if I ever write something I would definitely write something for him. <laughs> <laughs> and like oh yeah this would definitely be played really well by by Victor, right? Have you written? Huh? Have you written a movie before? I mean Ivan. Um I don't know, like yeah, I guess I have, but it's not like a screenplay. Okay. It's like I don't I don't I don't work with screenplays or like scripts. Okay. I find the this is a very personal thing. Yeah. It's because the script and the screenplay of film comes by influence of like the Ford industry. Like the Ford Like the car? Yeah. Like what? Uh, yeah. Like one one exterior sun like uh, whatever place and character and then I feel like the script is just like the most obnoxious format to write film in it's like obnoxious as shit it's like the pacing you can write you like write one scene and then the thing and then the dialogue it's like it's obnoxious as shit I hate it I found, like, uh, another by a Mexican uh, filmmaker called Carlos Regalas, where you just write image. The image, you describe what's visually there, what's, and then another, there's an image, you describe it. Sound, what's the sound? And then time, how long is this shot? And you just, you can go through a movie, like, in a day. You can write a movie in a day. Hmm. We are here with Ruben Garcia Marufo. Um, Portland filmmaker, um, co-curator, direct co-curator, mm-hmm. co-curator, co-director mm-hmm. of Shingata Gallery mm-hmm. in Portland, Oregon. Um, Ruben has, uh, we've had the pleasure of having Ruben share with us about his work at the Portland Biennial. And now, um, we're going to jump into, um, kind of a different thread. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruben, Ruben is multifaceted, multi-talented, um, 
and has a wide range of knowledge and a variety of topics. And now we are going to explore some of those other topics. All right. So first of all, what art are you getting into right now? Like what what makes you like excited? What do you what can't you wait to see? Um, I'm really getting into animation for some reason. Okay. There's like the animation space and basically how I'm going to animation is through rotoscoping and in that Oh yeah, you're supposed to be teaching me. Huh? Yeah, I already have like everything. Maybe we should get together soon. Okay. And I do rotoscoping and mostly work with bodies and like redelineating like a the border of a body has been like something that I've been really interested in and that's like the next project that I have down the line in November mm. um, it's called El Ser Forma Un Rizo which translates to uh, the self forms a curl mm. um, it's something that I've been working on for like a while now and I'm like really really into it and it's coming out beautiful and it's these interactions between bodies and wherever the bodies touch when I'm redelineating through rotoscoping and animation where the bodies are touching that separation between the bodies is erased and it's basically a continuous body if like two fingers touch there's no longer a separation between those two bodies and they become like one thing um, so it's like this exploration of the bodies that if even if you want to hold someone that you hold dear if you hold them as hard as you can it's will always be skin skin deep right mm. you cannot go through them it's like for me the body is like the first and last border and that's something that i've been really into exploring and i've been given the chance to like do it through this project and yeah that's something that i'm like bleh. And the other thing is this sci-fi that I've been writing for a few years called The Great Silence. As you do. <laughs> for a long time, I've been, like, working on it. Like, it's mostly like an archive project where I, like, go through my writings and find all these little pieces and interviews with people that talk about their relationship to silence. And it's the set the sci-fi setting of it is basically electricity from one second to the other like that stops working uh even if you have a thing with a battery or anything electricity just fails us and we are sunk into um a massive a mass silence and the effect that it has in our bodies i am in conversation with the minnesota there's a like a scientific research station in Minnesota that has like the most silent room in the world um, oh. where people have not been able to hold their cells for more than 45 minutes because once you're in there you start it's like a minus 125 decibels so your body starts like can't your body, the first thing that you notice is like it's very silent. After that, your body can't orient itself, so it needs to like sit down. So apparently you need sound for your body to stand up. And then you sit down, and then you start hearing your heartbeat. Then you start hearing your closing and opening of your eyelids. You start hearing your lungs working. You start hearing like your blood going through your veins. And 
it's a, it's like this exploration of the impossibility of silence and it's very much influenced by like performance art and hopefully someone will be interested in it and helps me uh, write it and finish it so I can get financing mm. as a movie it's like the two things I'm really into right now um, yeah like I said other forms other forms of borders and exploration cool both of those projects sound really beautiful um, do you have like an ETA in mind for them um, the animation is coming in November so that's definitely happening that's definitely happening the silent project which is called The Great Silence or La Ultima Luz del Planeta which translates to la, The Last Light of the Planet mm-hmm. uh, it starts with silence and then it starts it ends with like the dying of the sun um, I am going to devote myself to that on 2020 okay that's like the project for 2020, which according to like every other like independent filmmakers, I think it will be somewhere around 2025 <laughs> or 2027, somewhere between 2025, <laughs> 2027, if I am lucky. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I feel like now is a good time for us to dive into the pop cultural gumbo and the messiness. So, I'm jumping in. A few a few months ago, you excitedly told me about the Joker trailer. Oh god, yeah. And I watched it and I was like, "Okay, this could be a thing." Like the this, first teaser. Yeah. yeah, the first teaser. This might be about something. And then the a month trailer. ago, the, the trailer. second trailer dropped. Um Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, I watched it and I felt I felt some things. Yeah. Um it basically began with a series of black women or uh, black femme presenting um, people being mean to the Joker. Just Archer out Fleck, of yeah. context. Yeah. Just mean for no reason um, to the titular character. And then there was a miscellaneous attack by black and brown kids. Um, there's obviously the Inflation of mental illness with villainy that's in the Joker origin story already, that's already baked in, but combined with all these other things, uh, I could see how folks would feel a ways. What are your thoughts on <laughs> the Joker trailer? The Joker trailer. Like, do you think it was just the way it was cut? Do you think it potentially will not be this incel origin story. Damn, it's like, that's the thing, right? Because we only have the, the trailer, but from the trailer, I definitely agree with that, Reed. At first, like, you know, I'm, like, pretty stupid. I'm like, oh, my God, the, the fucking Joaquin Phoenix is the new Joker. And I told everyone, even as this movie, like, the story sucks, this movie's going to be held together by Joaquin Phoenix performance. That's mm-hmm. what I've been, tell- been telling everyone since, like, I heard about it. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie could fucking suck. The story could be terrible. I don't give, like, a flying fuck about the story. This movie is Joaquin Phoenix's performance. Mm-hmm. That's what this movie is all about. And that was my read from the start. And then I saw it and was like, oh, shit, there's, like, a lot of, like, you know, like, actors that I know. And then the second trailer drops and then you have 
like the social worker telling him like oh, we're gonna have to drop you off and then mm-hmm. this trailer starts with this like other black lady on a bus on a bus and the He's guy like making like faces at the kid like being a nice guy yeah and then this miscellaneous black mother being like, mean to him. It's like, stop doing that to my kid. And, and I, like, I got to tell you, okay, as a black woman, there is a way that black women are coded in Hollywood that I'm just fucking tired of. I think, like, one of them that you told me a lot before was by that same lady that acted in, um, was in uh, Shape of Water. She's like, when is she stop oh. gonna? When is she's gonna stop being like a like a janitor or like whatever? Sidekick. Uh, yeah, like Octav- a servant. A Octavia Spencer. Octavia, yes. And I feel like we've talked about this so many times. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. And from the trailer, yeah, like mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. And like, do you I'm, do you do you feel like there's a possibility that it's just cut this way, or do you feel like? It's going to adhere to the same old tropes. I think it's going to adhere to the same old tropes. It's like, honestly, it's like, you know, I'm pretty sure Joaquin Phoenix is just like focusing his performance. And I think it all falls in this guy. What is his name? Todd Phillips? Is that the name of the yeah. director and writer? Who I'm told is an asshole. Because I had a conversation about Joker today with another mm-hmm. comics person. And like, we're talking about... And we can talk about this, the conflation of the anti-hero versus yeah. the villain yeah, and yeah, how yeah. they're not the same thing, but people can't critically analyze that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence the anger with this movie. But also, apparently, Todd Phillips is a, has a history of being an extreme asshole. Yeah. More like, <laughs> also, this is the guy that made, like, Hangover, which is mostly about, like, these white dudes mm-hmm. trying to, like, you know, it's... All his stories that he's ever written, it's like, he's the guy from, like, Hangover, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, these white dudes going crazy in Vegas, like, not being, like, at all being responsible for any of the actions and consequences that they're... It's the same shit. Mm -hmm. But, like, honestly, I have a very soft spot for fucking Joaquin. Why? He's an incredible fucking actor. That's why he? He is. Okay. The master. Like, I feel like when I saw the master, I was like, you are... Wow. I was, like taken aback by Joaquin Phoenix's performance in The Master. I don't know if it was Joaquin, if it was a Joaquin and Paul Thomas Anderson con- like mm. combination. Paul but, Thomas like, Anderson is good at doing that thing that he does. Yeah, that thing of like, what did you tell these people that mm-hmm. make them act that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like I've seen his, I've seen him like since Gladiator. and like, He was scary as shit in that movie. Yeah, and Max can attest to that. He loves... You do love some Gladiator. It's all right. Oh, please! <laughs> Come on! Uh, Trying to play it cool. Do you have any feelings about Joaquin Phoenix as an actor? Yeah, um, I'm curious to see if the Joker will be this incel ode, this incel called arms, um, if uh, the Joker mask is going to replace the V for Vendetta mask. Um, or the Dali masks. The Lee masks? The Lee. Um, oh, whatever. I feel like no one has seen that show. <laughs> That's just me. But, okay, I have a question about that. Like, is this, like, a false equivalency? Like, is it really fair to, like, if, it, if all it takes is a movie to incite someone to commit these atrocious acts, 
I feel like they're going to do that shit anyway. They're just going to find no, reasons to do that it, shit. Yeah, no, it goes back no, to the initial... But they're going to feel, like, empowered by it. It goes back to the initial point of, like, what is the thing that's doing this thing. I don't think this movie coming out is going to, like, push these people to, like, this new place. I think they're already in this place. Right. And this movie is just, like, a further example of, like, these, like, um, white dudes with guns on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, yeah, but I think, like, I think the thing that's different is that, like, here we see that, like, oh, no, like, this, this like, white guy is, like, having a bad time in life, and then he decides to become, like, a, a terrorist or, like, some mass, you know, like, ringleader of these, like, violent groups. Um, but then is that how so many other groups deal with having, like, bad times in life? Or is it just, like, when bad times happen to these white men that they, like rise up in arms yeah it reminds me a lot of like that movie with um <sighs> michael douglas the game no not the game no defense the... that was the name of the character point break no no was falling down falling down yes it's i feel that like it's a weird no. ass movie where he loses it in a traffic jam yes oh god I, I i i remember that movie a lot and i was always i always felt like michael douglas was not the hero of that story i always feel like the cop was the hero of that story because he was trying to like yo dude i know you're having like a bad time don't fucking kill people and shit but um i feel like that narrative of, like, the white man losing his shit is, like, it's not the first time we've seen it. No, that's the thing. That's every fucking narrative. But now it's, like, yeah. Now it's, like, the Joker, which has already inspired a mass shooting. Aurora. Aurora. And, like, people are up in arms yeah. about that the Joker debuting in that theater, which that's I can't thing. believe We're like, that theater is still running. I don't know, like, but that's the thing. Like, we I'm only really have sure. the trailer. We don't know, like... I From what I've read from the trailer is, is that he falls for... Uh, Sassy Beats. Sassy Beats. And he thinks that she's into him. I feel, like, from what I've read from the reviews is, like, Europe has gone crazy for it. It's, like, because, you know, they're... Con- Wait, it already, it already screened in Europe? Yeah, they, fucking that movie won, like, the Golden Leopard... Like, I don't know what that is. I feel like, like you of, made that up. No, like the the. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the most important like film festivals and okay. film the like, coveted Crying Monkey Award. Yeah, like fucking <laughs> dropping thunder over here. Um, I'm cutting that, and we're, we're using that clip for other things. <laughs> um, like all the film festivals in Europe are going like this is like an amazing movie, but like white violence in Europe is different from white violence in the United States. And it's being taken like very differently there as it's being taken very differently here. Wait, when you, okay, I don't want to like divert, but is white violence different or is it just discussed and framed differently there? I don't, I don't feel like there's like mass shootings in like Europe as much as there is in the United States behind. Give it a generation. I feel like, (laughs) you know, the United States. And they uh, has like a very close relationship to film, and I feel like this is that kind of film that you know it's contra- it's controver- controversial. It probably falls flat. It's not gonna be that great. Mm. I feel like the only thing that drives this movie is gonna be Joaquin performance, and yeah, it might be taking like n- instead of the guy Fox Max. Now it's gonna be. 
a clown mask. And that for me is like, well, what does this clown mask represent from difference from the Guy Fox mask, right? Mm. Uh, does that mean that we're talking about like these underdogs or whatever. But then again, it's Todd Phillips. He's the guy that fucking did Hangover. Did he do Hangover 2? He did trans- all three of them. Because there was some transphobic bullshit in yeah. Hangover no, 2. No, he did all three of them. Okay. That's the thing. Like People are giving this guy way too much credit when it's all Joaquin Phoenix performance. This is the thing. You can have a shit script. You can have a shit story. But if you give you just give it to like... An amazing actor. He can do so much with it. And I think this is one of those cases when you just have a shit director, Mm -hmm. a shit script, but this guy was like, I'm just going to make this work. And he's just like reflecting this idiot, stupid, like, Oh, yeah. Oh, poor white guy. You know, he's just trying to be nice, mm-hmm. you know. But Joaquin was, like, in the, working from this other perspective. Like, you know, he's this broken person with his mom. Mm-hmm. He wants to fall in love. He has, like, mental issues. Mm-hmm. He was working specifically from, like, this uh, perspective from, like, Arthur Fleck. He was building Arthur Fleck. Everything around him was, like, built from the perspective of, like, this fucking idiot. Um, what's his name again? Todd Phillips. Mm-hmm. And that's like the thing. It's like everyone's like Todd Phillips. It's like no, 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 no. This is this is Joaquin. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like people are like giving too much credit to Phillips, and like. But just... we've talked about this. Joaquin yeah. has made some missteps. Of course, in his we career. remember what was that movie? I'm called? still here. I'm still here. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that's also given. What was the guy behind that project? Casey Affleck. Oh God. Who is a creep. Yeah. I, understand. I feel like Joaquin is all like Joaquin is like so focused on his fucking craft of being an actor mm-hmm. that he's like, yeah, I'll do this. And he's like so good at it. Yeah. He's so good. I don't know. And we talk about his trouble past. Yeah. Um, he was like his family was part of like this weird cult in Venezuela. And which I didn't know about till you told me. Yeah. He so. was like this. The, his family was part of this weird cult in Venezuela. Then they escaped and then came to the United States, changed their last name to Phoenix as, like, this new race and family. Mm-hmm. Um, Reaver Phoenix couldn't couldn't deal with it. It's and, part of the 27 Club. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. he couldn't fucking, you know. And also drugs and Hollywood. Yeah. And, <laughs> so. you know, I feel like... I feel like that's why Joaquin is having, like, such a hard time. It's like, I'm just trying to portray this character. He may... I'm not saying, like, him being, like, uh, oblivious to it. Mm -hmm. He's forgiven for it. Mm -hmm. But he's, like, an actor. He's trying to make, like, this character... Portray this character as best as he can Mm -hmm. with this idiot's vision called Todd Phillips. Yeah. I feel like he's getting... I feel like Todd Phillips is getting all the credit... From the acting of Joaquin Phoenix. Possibly, yes. That's my... I've been telling it from the start. This movie is Joaquin. Everything else... But it's not, though. I know. I agree with you. With the first clip, this is why I was interested, Brian Tyree Henry was in that first clip. Yeah. And in this new cut... He's not in it. Not at all. And, And now we also have De Niro, which... 
I feel like they could have led with that. The fact that they didn't mention that until this cut of the trailer is kind of weird, right? There's like a one second shot of him in the first trailer, but no one took notice to it. Oh, okay. And also this is like a remake or a retelling of an old Martin Scorsese movie about a comedian that's obsessed with a show host yeah. uh, King called The King of Comedy. Okay. And it's like, it's also like part of like film, like American film history. <clears throat> and Robert basically. Robert goes crazy. Yeah, Robert Nero oh. goes crazy again, kind of like Taxi Driver, you know? Okay. It's Taxi Driver. It was basically like an odd to like American like film, mm-hmm. which, which as we started from the start, the beginning of Hollywood history, or like how Hollywood film history is like built upon like a racist ass movie by D.W. Griffith called Birth of a Nation that's like, yeah, the clan, it's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And. Obviously not. Okay, so that leads me to the second question. It's 2019. Are aren't we kind of over these like really flawed depictions of like mental wellness and like I mean, yeah, I think I told you that this Joker has like uh, a ver- uh it's based on a uh mental condition where you can't they they can't stop laughing yeah they laugh at the most unopportune moments Mm -hmm. and i don't know what the name of it is but this joker has that Mm -hmm. and and i told you about you were like how why is this person doing that it was like well it's acting you know (laughs) it was like if it were an acting it was like if you wanted to who's gonna portray like uh what's that movie with um radio the, un- oh. the universe is oh. I am Sam. No, look. The Theory of everything. The, yes. Samuel Hawkins. Yes. Yeah. That's Stephen Samuel. Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins. Steve. You're just Stephen Hawkins. We're getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> also, I don't like Redmayne as an actor, but whatever. Whoa. 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 Hey, hey. It's an unpopular opinion. It's an unpopular Why don't you like Redmayne? I feel like you... Mm, I see him. He did like, something mm. we all liked. What? I'm trying to remember what that was. Was it... The Gryffindor movie, the the oh, we all the like one that? full case of. Did we or did you just like that? Crabbage Grumley. You're <laughs> just <laughs> making things up. No, he's in some Harry Potter movie, isn't he? He's a new Harry Potter. I would. Am know. I oh, making yeah, this yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Grimblewall, whatever. Yeah. Oh um, wait, I think that's on HBO. I so, should the I watch case that? Case of Grimblewall. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Like I don't Fantastic like. Fantastic. But that's the luggage. thing, like. And how to kid transport Fantastic it. luggage and I, how to... Tra- I've been telling you, like... You they, need to write some YA novels, <laughs> clearly. I've, I've been telling you, like, the history of, like, peop- like actors portraying, like, uh, people with mental uh, mental conditions. Mm-hmm. It's been a Hollywood thing. I'm not going to even bring up Talk of Thunder on this he, Okay, no, you know what? No! Let's talk about Tropic Thunder. <laughs> oh, my God, okay. Because... I'm going to state an unpopular opinion, and I'm I'm well aware that this is an unpopular opinion. But I am not okay with Robert Downey's portrayal in that movie. I understand that it was satire. I understand that it was supposed to be funny. I didn't find that shit funny. I don't think that's an unpopular opinion. It's not an unpopular opinion. Let the record stand that I am also not pro Robert Downey Jr. Okay. and Tropic Thunder. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. I'm glad we're all on the same page. But I don't think we all are on the same page. <laughs> 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 but 
But that's the thing. That's the thing. The thing of like, what are the go to the history of like who the best actors and actresses have won? Like actors mostly, not actresses, have won the Academy Award. Oh, wait, are we using the Academy Award as a metric? Because that's a whole other conversation. See, I feel like this. That's the thing. So arbitrary. I know. That's what I'm trying to say, but. That's the thing Hollywood strives for, the Oscar. I don't see any other fucking Hollywood movie going to, like, one any other, like, uh, awards outside its country. I feel like Americans are starting to look at the BAFTAs because they actually seem to be I think it's more... the same shit. Maybe. Honestly. I mean, maybe the, the might, you might be. The British Science and Academy. Yeah, because the... they, they have, they give more awards to, like, people of color. Oh. Yeah. But so like all the all the black shit that is not getting accolades here get, gets BAFTAs and shit. So like. So that's the thing. I feel like it's also part of its history of who gets rewarded. Yeah. And it's like always actors portraying people with mental conditions. Daniel Day Lewis, left like my yeah. left foot. Um, Forrest Gump. Mm. Um, you know you can keep going at it and going at it and going yeah. and you know. And it's the thing of, like, I want recognition. What do I play? I play a person mm. with a mental condition. But this is the thing about Joaquin Phoenix. He's, like, amazing. I don't think he needed to do that. Maybe in a popular opinion. No, I thought he was... I thought I thought his work in the movie Her was quite lovely, actually. I don't like that movie, but he's amazing in it. You don't like that movie? No, I don't like that movie, but he's amazing in it. I feel like that was Scarlett Johansson's best work. I agree with you. I'm not lost on the fact that we didn't actually see her physical form for that. I think the other other role was like Lost in Translation, but I feel it was which because, was her first thing. Yeah, because it was also what right next to like Bill Murray. She was in that. That's, that was before Lost in Translation. We are familiar with the movie. You are familiar with that movie. Yeah, I don't agree. With you. you guys don't like that? Where they no. break into the SATs? No. I've Station? again. I'm Let's keep going. With the Let's movie. keep going. All right, we can talk about Walking in Phoenix, and we can listen to Ruben be archaic ass. No. But okay, you, you really like it. Okay, bring up no. Slackers. So you like the movie Slackers? No, I don't. I'm just saying. I you remember, fucking love I'm just saying, Phoenix. Don't lie I'm to saying me. Scarlett Johansson was in a movie before Lost in Translation. Okay, yes. My only point was Lost Slackers. Lost in Translation is I when think Chris I've... Evans is also in Slackers. Oh, shit, really? Captain yes. America? Yeah. Are, I mean, he was like... Wait, question. Also, that's pre-Fast Passage for Chris Evans. Oh, okay. Are that's we, what I was going to say. Are we saying that Chris Evans came Um, He did actually... Avengers Assemble? No, wait. Winter Soldier is really good. I'm just saying it. I can I do this Winter all day? Soldier. That is America's ass? You Let's are keep... correct. Yes. Let's keep moving. Let's Oscars keep moving. for everybody. And we'll do that together, too. <laughs> Let's keep going. Let's We're going to get... You just like, opened it. We're going to get crucified. All right, all right, all right. I'm going to get crucified. All right, next up... <laughs> Is a movie that all three of us have seen at this point. It's your shield now, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the taste of strawberries, Mr. Hey. Porter? Are you going to tell me about her? No, Sam, I'm not. <laughs> I don't think I will. <laughs> I don't think I will. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns for Chris Evans. That's right. I, my favorite role of Chris Evans is in Scott Pilgrim. Oh, he was actually really good in that. He was. He was. I think that's on Netflix now, too. I need to rewatch it. It's really good. It Whatever really it takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. I don't know what I'm going to do if we don't win. <laughs> Whatever it takes. 
Melanie, take his okay. Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> wiped out half of all life on the, the universe. <laughs> this one of the first comments. She got one of the worst lines in that movie. Oh my god. Melanie, take us, take us. Okay, all right. We're losing our... Okay, so back to a movie all three of us have seen, but um, I have made it a point of mentioning that I fell asleep five times during this movie. Once upon a time in Hollywood. This is like our third time to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to talk about it while Ruben was here um, to specifically address the Bruce Lee controversy because um, many folks have entered the chat room on that conversation. So this began with Bruce Lee's daughter calling out Quentin Tarantino's fuckery, which he is infamous for, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and saying, um, that's not my father. I was hella uncomfortable sitting in this white audience watching mm-hmm. them laugh at my father. You are an asshole for doing this. And Quentin Tarantino, the class act that he was, he, he is, he was, doubled down on the bullshit, on the white entitlement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by saying... Actually, no. I talk to people who talk to people who talk to people, and that's how he was. Yeah. And I don't care if you're his fucking daughter. I said what I said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one of Bruce Lee's close friends called the depiction sloppy and somewhat racist, which I think is being kind. Kind. Somewhat. Very kind. Yes. <laughs> um, the actor, unfortunately, the actor who uh, played Bruce Lee in the movie, Mike Moe, who is just an actor... Trying to get a check, um, a person of color, an Asian actor, trying to get a check in Hollywood. So, honestly, um, folks, POCs working in Hollywood will always get my grace. Yes. I'm not going to sit here and judge, like, the jobs that they take. But he admitted that he did not approve of the original depiction. The actor playing Bruce Lee admitted he oh, did not agree. I did not know about that. Yes. One. I knew about the daughter. I knew about, like, where Quentin Tarantino said he got his sources from. Uh-huh. But I did not know about yeah. the actor. Mike Moe was like, yeah, actually, the original script, I had some questions for Tarantino before I could say yes to this. And then Antonio Banderas joined the chat room and defended Tarantino. Proving oh that he is he is a rich man in Hollywood. Okay, cookies for him. Um, Kareem, oh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar disapproved of the depiction. So that's where we are right now with this depiction of Bruce Lee and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Word on the street is that there is going to be a Django 2. What? And he is actually going to meet up with Zorro. Shot Who the, the fuck, fuck asked fuck. for that? I want to see that. No! Nobody like... wants to see that! And who's that one guy? His name's like, um, Carmen, um, something like that. Michael Carmen? Um, he's like a, he's like a funny guy. He's like a comedian, but he's gonna be like writing the script. Um, he's kind of like skinny. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a show on TV called like The Carmen's? Oh, wait, Carmichael? Carmichael. Yeah. 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 The one was who was in the Moonlight video for Jay-Z? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to... He had the failed sitcom. Yeah, he's going to be... Yeah, yeah. He he's going to be writing the script. He actually... He's pretty funny, but um, who asked for a Django-Zorro crossover? I think I'm Quentin Tarantino did. I mean, I mean, I love Zorro. 
I like Zoro too. Django has not held up you know over you the years. Part of my thesis was was a, my my MFA thesis was about how fucked up Django was. Now they're gonna join forces and like liberate some little town. <laughs> Does okay. When was the last time you actually watched Zoro? Like uh, a month ago. No. Wait, no. No. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, first yeah. one or the second one? The second one where they're like wait. The Mask of Zoro. The one where, uh, which is the one where they're like using, where there's like some Americans using gold from California to pay for buying California. That's the second one. The, the one second one. The mine scene. Yeah. Or is the second one the massive? That's zero. the one that I just saw. Wait, is that the one with Catherine Zeta Jones? She's in both of them. She's in both of them. I'm thinking of I. I can only remember the first one. I with can't Anthony remember. Hopkins. With Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the second one. I really like the second one because it's obviously retelling like a part of like Mexico's history, which is like the myth of like Santa Ana selling California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, all that part. Mm-hmm. It wasn't sold. It was stolen. Mm-hmm. And it was like, we're going to buy it. We're going to buy it with gold that was like taken from their own land. I was like... Fuck that. You fucking fucked them up, Soro. You know, like, that was my perspective on it. I was like, yeah, fuck them up. But in the end, it still was sold, right? That was like, I just really like seeing, like, parts of, like, Mexico history in, like, movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go in deeper because that's it. I'm not going <laughs> to say anymore. Okay. Because I'm going to call upon a name that's hated upon. Um, no. Wait. Quentin, too? <laughs> oh. oh yeah, but I mean, like, you can you can start that conversation. No, you can dig your own grave, Marufo. <laughs> no, but from no. what I understand, you've actually made some enemies with that conversation. Yeah, from what I understand, you publicly stood by that man. No, do not you that still man, stand that by? Do you still stand you said by that movies. man? Not that man. That movie. You said movies. You said movies. You did say movies. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. Movie. No, you you listed movie. multiple movies. Movie. Yeah. Okay. Movie. Multiple movies. Movie. Yeah. We're Ruby. talking about Mel Gibson, yo. Ruben is talking about Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Apocalypto is amazing. You've also stood by Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Master and Commander. Do you want to renounce? World. That's not fucking Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. What I'm trying to say is like... One Australian is good as the next. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that... It's very... Seeing part of, like, what I've been taught in my history of my country, then seeing it in a movie, retcon and, like, retold, I'm like, fuck yeah. There was, like, you know, Soro was, like, fighting for, like, Mexico in that moment, right? And that was, like, something that I was, like, really into. But at the same time, as I grew up, I realized fucking Antonio Banderas is not even Mexican. He's, like, fucking Spanish. I was like, oh, that's kind of, like, fucking disappointing. He was, like, my own, like... Pers- like my own like uh, way of like seeing Mexicans like in De- Desperado mm-hmm. Mariachi Mexican I've one. ever seen yeah he's like fucking Mexican as fuck right yeah. and no the only Mexican in that fucking movie was fucking Salma Hayek Cheech Marine Cheech Marine yeah he's gonna skull fuck him I remember that yes. scene the bartender always survives <laughs> so I actually use one. Of that's the why I, that's the only reason, like why I like like El Soro, the Mask of Sorrow, because it was like a part of Mexican history that uh, for me it was always like, why would you sell that much land for like nothing? But it was like eventually you know that it wasn't like sold, it was stolen, and then in El Soro movie, found. <laughs> found. 
Um, <laughs> and the Sora movie, they tell like they pay for it for gold that was digged up in our like in in California. I was like, oh, that's fucked up, mm-hmm. right? And that's why I that's why I like those two movies, even though they're kind of bad. But you know, that's legitimate. Like that. no, I actually like I I can see that. But Django, upon multiple rewatches, I have some huge issues with how. I mean, it just, it basically reads like a movie about slavery written by a white man. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's the other thing I was telling Max the other day. We were talking about Westerns and like the Western that ended all Westerns was like in the 90s by racist Clint Eastwood called The Unforgiven. And (laughs) uh, the only black person in that movie, which was played by uh, Morgan Freeman, got lynched. And that's like the only reason why like Clint Eastwood comes in and like starts shooting everyone up. I was like, why do you kill my friend? And I was like. I'm hope I'm still hoping to see like a black western. Mm. That would be like incredible, like a black western written by a black person, directed by a black person. Like that would be amazing. Just like I'm still waiting for like, I mean, there's a lot of like Mexican westerns. Like the golden yeah. age of like Mexico cinema is like basically Mexican westerns. Yeah. Um, but I'm still like waiting for like a Django, like not a Django, but like a black western. You know, kind of like. I haven't seen a Western in, like, 13 years that's worth the shit mm-hmm. since, like, The Proposition. Pretender Yuma. No, The Proposition. Like, this Australian, like, Western with, like, Guy Pearce and, like... Oh. It was, like, incredible, like... Guy Pearce isn't Australian? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Oh. They were all British. They were British in okay. Australia. Okay, okay. Um, but, uh... I don't know. I'm still waiting for, like, a black Western... Or like there have been black westerns. Mario Van Peebles directed a, a classic black western called Posse. It's from the 90s. You should check it out. I should check it out. That's also, and um, um, I want to say Kenya, but you know you have to fact check me. There was like a lot of uh, people like um, absorbing like western movies, and they're, they've started like made their own westerns. Mm-hmm. And there's complete westerns. Where they're just like replicating like um, you know like American West sets, but they're all black. Like all the cowboys are black, all the good guys are oh, black, wow. all the bad guys are black. Oh, and I remember Blazing Saddles. That shit is fucked up. They just dropped the N word. Like they don't give a fuck. Gotta be honest. There's a huge section of American movies that I have never seen because I know it's some fuck shit. So like. <laughs> are you referencing Blazing Saddles? Yeah. Yeah. Who was that? Who was that one guy that does Blazing Saddles? Mel Brooks. Guy? Yeah, Mel Brooks. Brand of Brooks. course, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I feel like that's part of, like, I remember they just dropped the N-word, like, crazy in that movie, like, over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. humor, I guess, with some people. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, who are we watching? Like, who who are we studying? Who's out there inspiring us? Who's out there, we're trying to be like, I see what they're doing. I want to try to um, learn from those moves, learn from some of that. Um, who are we watching? Can I go? Yeah. Um, you can't say me. <laughs> um, I always had, like, a very soft spot for uh, Guillermo del Toro. Mm. Not because of, like, his immense, like, uh, talent, but because out of the big three Mexican like directors in the United States, he's the only one that like, um, you know, 
supports other Mexicans. He makes space for them. He supports like rising artists in the film industry. He's like, come under my wing. I'll tell you what's up. And that's something that you don't see from Alfonso Cuaron or Iñárritu, which are the other two. Those two are always like doing their own projects and everything. And I feel like Guillermo is one of the only ones that is very open to like, I don't know the word, what it is like in, in Spanish is like apadrinar. Like, I think it's like under their wing, right? Mm. Like, um, like a godfather. Mm. That's the, the word like padrino. You know, like he brings you under his wing and, um, you know, introduces you to like other people and like helps you out. That's something that I haven't seen from like other of the big Mexican like directors that are very famous in the United States. That's like something that I've always respected about him and that he's like unrelentless in his work. He's always making shit. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of them, like out of my top of my mind like immediately just because of that yeah um well the MacArthur Genius Grants were announced for the year oh yeah I saw that shit and I noticed that Sadia Hartman and Linda Berry got them so Sadia Hartman does this amazing writing about um and scholarship around um blackness in the aftermath of the transatlantic slave trade and pessimism. And then Linda Berry is this cartoonist. Um, and I feel like both of them kind of encapsulate my artistic aspirations. Like, I want to do graphic novels about, like, blackness and, like, black life and, like, the aftermath of, like, what we're dealing with. Um, and the fact that these two, like, disparate artists um got this huge like it's like the the biggest art prize in america like it gives me like hope that maybe one day you know but in the meantime i just want to like study all their work and figure out how to like combine all of these elements so um and like one of the major things that inspired me was the John Jennings and Damian Duffy did this graphic novel adaptation of Kindred, and they're about to come up, um, come out with Parable of the Sower. Um, so, like, it'll be interesting to see how they translate that to graphic novel format. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. What about you? Um. <laughs> you asked the question. Yeah. <laughs> Those three wishes? Oh no, I didn't answer that one. Um, who am I watching? Um, I feel like I don't. Let me hold on. I've been watching somebody. But I'm gonna figure out who I've been watching. Okay. Give me a second. Okay. I'm following. <laughs> We've been talking for how long? For a long time. Yee. Two hours and something. That one guy that's on Gronish that's also a model, I've been following him. <laughs> There's a guy on Gronish who's a model. Yeah, do you watch Gronish? Yes, I do. Don't want the dreads. Oh, Lucas Sabat. Yeah, there we go. He's problematic. Is he? Yeah. Oh damn it. No. <laughs> 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 Bad Boys Three comes out. Shut the fuck 2020. up. Twenty twenty. You didn't know about that? What? I love. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know I have a soft spot for those bad boys movies. Yeah, they're good. People tell me, like, Michael Bay sucks. Like, have you seen The Rock? Have you seen Bad Boys 1 and 2? Those are amazing. Has The Rock held up? It has held up. Okay, all right. <laughs> Pro. Um, now on Winners to... Winners go home and oh, fuck don't the Oh, don't do not quote that part of the movie, okay? Now on to our last <laughs> segment, which has become one of our most favorite segments. Um, Melanie Stevens, if you want to take it away. All right, so this is, um, Sealy's glass of water. Oh, Mr. Talking Trash about Shug. Folks don't like nobody being too proud or too free. Um, and this uh, goes out to the people, uh, places, organizations, or things that are impeding me from being great. <laughs> um, I saw that scene from that movie where she spits in that water. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, to, um, for this episode, Celia's uh, glass of water goes out to meetings. Meetings are fucking pointless and useless. And now that I have 5011 jobs, I am forced to go to all of the meetings, which are like basically I'm being held hostage for hours at a time and expected to listen to people talk at each other and prove who's smarter for at least an hour if not more, um, who are not listening to me, um, and all the while, no one is getting a goddamn thing done. I don't know why meetings are a thing. Like, Max, I feel like you and I have very efficient, like, chats where we go down a list and take care of shit. This is something else. This is just people talking at each other and using a whole lot of word soup, and I don't fucking get it. And I... As I sit in these meetings, I just get angrier and angrier and angrier. Like, why are you keeping me from actually doing my work? <clears throat> and because I happen to be a black woman and an introverted black woman at that, so there's really no place for me. <laughs> nine, ten, nine times out of ten, I get talked over. I get ignored. People occasionally turn to me to ask my opinion, at which point I've checked out because you spent 45 minutes ignoring me, so why the fuck should I contribute anything at this point? And meanwhile... All of the things I could actually be doing fall to the wayside, and I have to make up for the time that I lost. So now, because your stupid ass wanted to have a meeting, I have to stay at work later, like two hours later, because we had to talk. Why? Why is this a thing? <laughs> and that's it. Hell yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Um, fuck meetings. <laughs> Um, stop, stop wasting Melanie's time. <laughs> I went to a meeting once. And, um, <laughs> I'm serious. I went to a meeting once, and they spent two hours um, arguing over whether they should use the word goals or whether they should use the word mission. Those are two very different things. And, and the meeting ended with it being unresolved. And they had to, they had to save it for next meeting. <laughs> And, and you know, we've had a lot of fun this episode. Um, oh, wait, I have to read the we iTunes. Ha- yeah, we have, our, we have our listener comment review section. Yes. Um, check us out. Um, leave comments, you know. As much as it may not seem like it, we are curious to know what you think of our guests. Yes. Of ourselves. He's an idiot. Of our style. 
of of um, our sauce because we sauce. Be, we drip all the sauce. We drip it. Do we need it? Do we need to get a better container? <laughs> 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 um. Do we need what else? Do we need more segments? Mm. Do we need more um, bogos? Do we need <laughs> more bogos. buy one get, get one. one free? Oh. Do we, yeah like oh, what? What makes Nat Turner Project pop to y'all? Um, who all gonna be there? Um, do we need to talk less? Um, well, that's not gonna happen. But that's you not gonna happen because every episode is getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, Molly Stevens with the reviews. All right, so here is where I read the iTunes reviews, and currently we have two. One of them may actually be me. Who knows? Yeah, two so, more than y'all do. So. <laughs> so the first one is, wonderful debut, exclamation point. I love the energy that these two hosts are bringing, and I can't wait to see what they have in store. Great job. That one might be me, because if you don't love yourself, who's going to love you? That's really sweet. I have to say, it's comments like that that make us keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and this review is from... Mistophanes. Oh. Um, honest, amazing, and natural. So refreshing. Feels like a conversation I would have with friends at home, only a much higher level. Thank you for that lovely comment. Thank you. That really means a lot to us. That's so. just Melanie in a different, <laughs> different uh, <laughs> ordering of letters. <laughs> that wasn't actually me, but it might be someone I asked to leave a review. So leave a review, um, share us on Instagram, share us in your stories, share us on Facebook, share us on TikTok. What's TikTok? TikTok. Is that what the kids are the doing? Kids, the kids, okay. the kids. Max is up with the, with the kids stuff. I watch. I wear Dra- oh. Dragon Ball Z t-shirts. So. Oh, okay. Looks like that ten years doesn't even matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> call us. Call in. We have our call in number, which will be. At the bottom of the screen. Um, <laughs> it's 555-5555. Yeah. That's some last action hero bullshit. 1-800-I'm-hot-you're-not. <laughs> 1-800-I'm-waiting-for-your-call. Yeah. Um, Pick up the phone. Parting words. We're going to go around and do our parting words record. Of course, we're, we, are, um, we are Southern Hospitality, so we will start with Ruben Marufo. Ruben Marufo, parting words. Thank you for listening. So say we all. Um, don't get mad, ho. Get a bag, ho. And there we go. Natural Project signing off. Check us out next time. See us on every link, website, all that good stuff. Do your due diligence. Support. Bye. Bye. Bye.